Hello, the internet, and welcome to Premium Bond, for your ears only. Hi, everyone. The name's Tucker, Lawrence Tucker. And with me, as ever, is the blowfelt to my 007, Gerard Humphreys. And we've done a podcast about James Bond. Hello, Gerard. Hello, Lawrence. And uh, how are you feeling about this podcast today, this uh, pilot episode of Premium Bond? <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about Premium Bond, <laughs> so we have to pronounce it. I imagine that is going to become a thing, yes. Yeah, so oh, it's an exciting time in the world of podcasting, certainly. It's, uh, it's been waiting for this. A hot young, really young pair of bucks coming in, big dicks swinging. <laughs> <laughs> ready, ready to, to take the world by storm. I don't um, think anyone else could do it apart from a couple of big dick swinging hot young bucks. <laughs> so, because it's the first episode, the pilot, if you will, uh, perhaps we could quickly uh, introduce the project and um, give a quick rundown of what it's about and what we hope to achieve and how we hope to change the world with it. That sounds excellent. <laughs> so, we had the notion to record a series of podcasts wherein we would watch each of the James Bond films sequentially and um, talk about them a bit and give a sort of simpleton's review of them. Yep, that's, that's pretty much covers it, I would say. Okay, so the first thing I want to I wanna clear up about this podcast is that the name Premium Bond, for your ears only, <laughs> which is the whole name... We- we're fully aware it's a terrible name and it's a stupid name, but it made us laugh because we can imagine Alan Partridge coming up with perhaps a, a commemorative James Bond magazine or something named it that came with a little yeah. commemorative car in each... Uh, <laughs> it's each, like uh, something you'd see in TV Recorder when coming up for ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should maybe um, talk a little, you know, have a little rock chat oh, about okay. um, you know ourselves and, 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 and how we feel about James Bond. I feel many confusing, conflicting emotions about James Bond. I just feel powerful when I think about it. <laughs> I'll be glad to get them out in the open. <laughs> Somebody needs to hear this. <laughs> so many years you've lived a lie. And <laughs> it's all going to come out in the most public forum possible. So, uh, would you describe yourself, Gerard, as a fan of James Bond? I would, yes. Would you say you're an avid fan? Yeah, I think that's fair. <laughs> it's like one of those freak fans that knows everything about it, or I wouldn't describe myself as a freak. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, well, uh... well, you know. <laughs> no, quite like I don't like him. You don't like the character of James because he's a psychopath. But I like the world. <laughs> a bit of a mentalist. We'll come to that. We'll definitely. But that get doesn't mean. To... Yeah, I enjoy the movies. I enjoy the films too. I mean, I. I think after reviewing this film, Doctor No, which we're going to do, um, I have now seen every James Bond film. I think this was my one blind spot, but I have seen them over. Uh, I don't know. Must a be, lifetime. Yeah, <laughs> a when, lifetime of Christmases. Yeah, basically fifteen years or something. I think I watched most of them. ITV did a run where they did a James oh, Bond film yeah, every day for, or every week or something for for a year or something like that. Mm. And I just I got into it and I watched them all. Uh, but that was. How long ago would you say? Fifteen years, maybe a bit, bit less time. Yes, yeah, definitely a long time ago. Sometime around two thousand and three or something like that. But yeah, I've I've seen them all, but I don't remember very much about any of them. So uh, yeah, that's suppose the important question then is uh, who is your your definitive bond, your premium bond, if you will. <laughs> <Wait>. <laughs> uh, Connery. 
Just Connery. It has to be Connery. Has to be Connery. Yeah. Not my, he's not got my favourite film, but he is my favourite Bond. <laughs> he is a very good Bond. I, in the interest of, um, no, I can't. I can't. It's it's Connery. Connery's my favourite James Bond. He's, he's he's Scottish and he's a bastard, and I I love him. <laughs> Connery though is he's the first Bond as well, so of course he's naturally a sort of definitive Bond but at the same time his films were further away from an enlightened period (laughs) so because his his films were 60s through the 70s I believe a lot of his the ones that he stars in are particularly I don't what what would you say I mean outwardly racist not not (laughs) quite but they're not Wait, they're just yeah, they're off their time. Yes, uh, the, the the Bond films are hilarious in virtue, I feel, of their rampant sexism yeah. and quite thinly veiled racism, uh, particularly in the one we're going to review today. <laughs> um, and uh, to this end, we thought it would be an amusing addition to the podcast to have a little uh, bell sound that we can we can ring whenever there is. I was going to say something uh, in the film that is of its time. There's a little bit racist and sexist, but having watched Spectre quite recently, there are still there are elements, <laughs> there are elements of racism and sexism still in it. So whenever um, Bond is a little bit un-PC, we'll ring the un-PC <laughs> bell and it will sound like this. Okay. What, what a lovely sound. That's a good noise. <laughs> That's the sound of racism. So you have any particular favourite James Bond film? Goldeneye. Goldeneye? Yeah. That would have been the one, though, that we would have first yes, seen first of, of our age. So yeah, first encounter with Bond would have been Goldeneye. Um, I, I know what you're going to say, and I know what reason you're going to say is my favourite <laughs> film, but I do love You Only Live Twice. Any reason? <laughs> yeah, to be honest, it's the racism. It's so oh. rampant. <laughs> Can't you love something because of the racism? Can you? I think you should take the bill. <laughs> It's it's so outwardly horrible and racist, <laughs> and there's the, that scene in it where he's talking about <laughs> about about um, Japanese men. It's a Jap- Japanese man, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, in Japan, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and yeah. it's like a no, it's not even him. It's the 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 Japanese um, women who are washing him. They go, oh, I, I apologise for the accent. I'll ring myself in advance. <laughs> <laughs> um, Japanese men are so uh, so hairless, are uh, not very hairy at all. Uh, Scottish men, English men, so hairy. <laughs> and he, he just sort of sits there smiling and nodding. Oh, no. <laughs> it's remarkable. It, that's also when he goes through the Japaneseification process as well in that film, I believe. <laughs> Do you know? I completely forgot about Did that. You? <laughs> well, as we will soon discover, that is. Uh, um, I mean, I'm go- I have to ring the bell again because I'm going to use the term yellow face. <laughs> but Asianing up, going, yes. into, going into yellow face, um, is not an isolated incident in that film. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's very, I mean, it's, there's ninjas, there's everything, it's just, it's, it's, it's a fairly two-dimensional portrait of Japan. <laughs> What more could you possibly want? <laughs> so anyway, yes, uh, the film we're going to review today is the first Eon Productions film, which is Doctor No. 
widely recognised as the first James Bond film, albeit slightly incorrectly. Uh, Doctor No was released in 1962, but is not called Doctor No in every territory. <laughs> no, this sounds like a fact. <laughs> there are some facts. I've, got, I've, got, I've, I've been onto the IMDb trivia page. Ooh. I've scrolled all the way to the bottom and I've read every last one of them. So uh, if you want to skip the podcast, just go there. Yep. It's watch as, a movie and read the trivia page. Yeah, that, it's as good. Get, get a friend, watch the film, read the trivia page, and just Never. unsubscribe from it. I'm assuming you're already subscribed because you've seen the title and gone, that is a solid gold <laughs> pun. <laughs> And that's the sort of wordplay I like to support. <laughs> <laughs> In which case, yeah, you get what you deserve. Yeah, honestly, honestly, if, you, if you're the sort of person that's that, that impressed by puns, you'd probably enjoy the film in earnest anyway. So <laughs> You're not our target audience, is essentially. Who is our target audience? I don't know. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I've come up with a little soundbite for it. That it's Our target audience is people who love and also simultaneously hate James Bond. So love to hate James Bond. <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, Basically. Who haven't seen the films, but also <laughs> have, and are interested in the films, but not too interested so they would know anything about them. We should be millionaires by the end of the year. I mean, <laughs> that's okay, there's clearly an untapped market. <laughs> love, hate, have seen, haven't seen James Bond film enthusiasts and also not enthusiasts. Yeah, yeah. I, I know, know, at least... Ten or so. Well, there's one in this room. <laughs> <laughs> it's us. Our target audience is us, basically. Anyway, as I was saying, the, uh, the Doctor No uh, title of the film is not universally translated as simply Doctor No, which you'd think would be quite an easy thing to translate. Yeah, like. yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's not like it makes any particular sense in English. Yeah, so the name just... of the Doctor is, is Julius No, mm-hmm. so you, the No doesn't change, yep, right? Yeah. <laughs> Doctor is a very... It's a single word to translate in any language. That should be easy. I can do it in about three. But, um... No. Uh, the studio's Japanese affiliate. Uh, they got the name of the film, Doctor No. And they, for some reason, just imagined that there was a question mark after Doctor. And the, the title of the film they nearly released as in Japan was... We Don't Want Doctors. <laughs> Because they thought it was Doctor. Nah. Hell no. Nah. Nah. It's <laughs> good, isn't it? That's a good fact. I'll eat that. Uh, Denmark released the film as uh, 007 Mission Killing. Yeah. <laughs> Close enough, I guess. To... to be honest, though, I mean, without going too far into the film and spoiling it, uh, For all there's not, there's I haven't not, seen it. It's not a, his mission is not to kill anyone. Yeah, 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 actually, it's kind of the opposite. And uh, Germany went for a much more straightforward approach and simply titled it James Bond Chases Doctor No. (laughs) Which, that is more accurate than 007 Mission Killing. Yes, yes, (laughs) but why not just Doctor No? Because how would the audience know what happens in the film? That's true. (laughs) Germans... Yeah. Famously, once your film, they know everything that's going to happen. Every part of the film is laid out in the title. So, Doctor No, or 007 Mission Killing, or James Bond Chases Doctor No, or We Don't Want Doctors. Uh, <laughs> I so, vote for We Don't Want Doctors. <laughs> whatever the. Uh, okay, well, We Don't Want Doctors is um, 
And I'm only going to refer to the film as we don't want doctors That's fine. from well, now on. So long as I leave that part in, that'll yeah. <laughs> make perfect sense. I might cut it out just so you look like a simpleton. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the name of the film, um, the fact remains, it was filmed in the 60s and it... It's lovely. It, it's, it's kind of bad, really. It's lovely, but it's bad. bad. Um, there's a lovely little sound bite of... Uh, uh, Ian Fleming, after he watched the, the premiere of the film, who described it as dreadful. <laughs> Simply dreadful. <laughs> Should be the name of this podcast. <laughs> the name's dreadful. <laughs> I, I wonder if he was going for that, or if he was just, oh, it's dreadful. It's just simply dreadful. Or if he's like suave and he put on like his little. I think it'd be quite glass suave. Of, glass of brandy. <laughs> dreadful. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because that's basically his line anyway. Anyway, so move on. Moving on. Let's move on. Yes. Let's actually talk about the ruddy film and not just those strange foreign people and the name they gave it. (laughs) So uh, the first part of any James Bond film is the uh, stylized intro sequence, which. uh, um, It goes straight into the gun barrel. It does go straight into the gun barrel, which actually I I really. Fact uh, <laughs> was actually filmed down a gun barrel with a pinhole camera. That's a good fact. Yeah, that is a good fact. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for my fact validation. Uh, so then, then the the iconic theme kicks in. Da 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 da. It's cheap and it's fucking nasty. <laughs> it sounds horrible. Um, I at this point I took my headphones out when I was watching. It was, okay, just it was too much. Um, uh, and then the intro sequence begins properly. Um, it's a, a series of rapidly flashing and colour changing <laughs> dots and the word Doctor No which yeah. sort of warps its way around the screen and almost at random feeling, you know when a, a new game comes out and it's like a tech demo for it mm. like this couldn't have been that much longer after like colour TVs and stuff like that were really just yeah, coming into their own yeah. so I think this could have been like a tech demo for yeah. <laughs> all these sweet <laughs> colours we this can see. hey this one's purple I mean who cares if nothing goes together it's whoa it, it did sort of I don't know it, it started to give me a bit of a headache to be honest Yeah, but I don't know if it's trying to trigger, trigger a migraine or PTSD <laughs> or something but it someone tell you just to man up in the cinema <laughs> back in the day buy yourself a frock Mary shoe <laughs> get, on, get on with it yeah, we've got these flashing dots, and then we've got Doctor No going all over the screen wherever it fucking wants. Uh, and unlike uh, quite a lot of James Bond films, there's actually three segments to the introduction. And the second segment was the one that really screwed me up. It was the, the the silhouettes of people dancing, uh-huh. which they were out of focus. They were sort of hazy in, in the distance and different colours and dancing to seemingly completely different rhythms. And uh, this sort of tribal beat, which is quite yeah, quite stressful, yeah, yeah. was going on behind it. But then the the credits were coming up, and the credits were perfectly sharp. So they had this this out of focus background and these really sharp credits, and it was just <laughs> I had to stop for a minute because I just get your dress ready, rub my temples. <laughs> Have a bit of a lie down with a cold compress. <laughs> then I bought myself a frock and it was fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, as long as you've got something nice out of the experience. But again, it's something that's going to stuck through 
older films and intros, maybe not all of them, but like the whole silhouettes dancing about and stuff like that. Yeah. Fair enough, they're not being fired out of guns or whatever, but you know, it's, nah, it's sort of <laughs> sets the theme. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does set. Well, no, hang on, no, sorry, <laughs> I've got to figure what theme. Well, <laughs> women what? dancing. Pretty much, yeah. Like, here's naked women theme. <laughs> Bond. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> so the final section of the, of the intro credits, um, there are more silhouettes. This time there are three blind men all standing in a row, all sort of hobbling along while a delightful version, sort of reggae-style Caribbean uh, three blind mice cover version is played, which we have both been sort of singing at each other yep. since we've seen yep. it. It's, it it's, it's quite... Jaunty, it's very jolly and nice. Yeah, it's three blind mice. It's quite nice. It's sort of. I'm not getting pulled. No, no. Three blind mice. There we go. Here's a little factoid for you as well. Okay. A little little fact for you. Would you like to have a guess at the budget of the title sequence? It's either going to be ludicrously high or ludicrously low. (laughs) I'm not sure actually, because there's inflation to consider. I'm not sure what this was worth in. in, uh, 1962, but the... I'll oh, have a guess. I'll go for high. I'll go for like five grand of 1962 money. I think that's quite high. I think that's pretty high, but it, it was uh, 2,000 okay. pounds, which still seems high, though. Yeah. I mean, I imagine yeah. for, for 100 pounds nowadays, um, someone could pull that stuff <laughs> on the internet, you know, within within an hour. <laughs> so what did you think of this intro sequence? Uh, that was, as you see, it was a bit garish, <laughs> lots of colours, lots of just, I think it was just trying to show off a wee bit, like, this is a big movie, big budget, here we go, we've got all the colours. There's a little one because it's pretentious. <laughs> British people that are making it, I can't be racist to the British. <laughs> You're not supposed to call them colours. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I now get what you're saying, you bad man. Yeah, I agree. Garish, unpleasant, but unmistakably Bond. Bond. (laughs) Yeah, and then also the three blind guys were just walking for bloody miles. (laughs) I mean, mean, spoilers to anyone who's watching this and experiencing the film for the very first time through our words, but... The three blind men are not blind. They are assassins. No, no, no. They're they're pretending to be blind. So they walk such a long way through such a convoluted and and complex route. And they're also very obvious. Like, if if you were to spot anything in a busy street, it would be the three blind men (laughs) sort of wondering. Yeah, you'd probably go, oh shit. You you would know them. If you saw three men together with a shoulder on each other, a hand on each other's shoulder. You would probably notice that, I would think. <laughs> I mean, the three men walking together, all, all three people, even. Let's, you, can, you can make it even more broad. Three people, people. walking together in a conga, you might notice <laughs> on the street. So, yeah, so it's kind of a classic Bond moment. That's how I've noted them down. It's like just <laughs> something that makes no sense whatsoever, but, you know. We get it. we get a, a good flurry of them right off the bat, I oh, feel. Yeah. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, we watched the three blind men in the intro video approach the Queen's private members club in Kingston, Jamaica. Cut to four very, very English old men <laughs> playing cards. Uh, one of them, Strangways, is apparently doing very well, but must leave to take a business call. He tells the others to order around on his chit, and he leaves. 
On his way to the car, he passes the three blind men, stopping briefly to drop a coin into one of their beggar cups. I forgot to say they're also beggars. So they're, they're panhandling blind men walking in a line who so, are completely so, inconspicuous. So I mean, if you're a beggar trying to draw attention to yourself, what? I mean, just... Yeah. Bloody hell, boy. It's, Bloody it's, hell. it's ridiculous. <laughs> the three men, apparently not blind at all, wait until his back is turned and shoot him to death with silenced pistols. A hearse pulls up quickly and they load the body in before speeding away. Right. <laughs> you were saying about um, drawing attention to yourself uh-huh. with being these three blind beggars. Why are they driving a hearse to a country club? <laughs> I don't understand why they weren't in the car when he drove there as well. <laughs> that was my fault. So I was, so I was, they could have just simply drove up, shot him, mm. put him in the car, drove away. But he did everything in a power. So a hearse pulls a handbrake, turn around the corner. Then so it, loud. Then red lines the engine and does an emergency stop. Next it, is, it is honestly the loudest noise in the whole film is this thing that's supposed to be inconspicuous pulling up to a car but again but it's a hearse what's a hearse doing at a country I don't, club I don't think they even put him in their coffin do they I like, don't think so, so, like, so even it could have been any car yeah well the fact that the hearse has got windows in the back of it so he just chucked a body into a completely <laughs> visible position I didn't understand almost any of the dialogue in this particular scene um uh, when they're playing cards, one of them says, "Oh, you're doing well, Strangways. Hundred honors and ninety below." And oh yeah, is that card speak or is that sixties speak? I don't know. I have no clue because it's an old general from Indian Army or something, isn't it? So it's maybe harboring some pretty racist yeah. colonialists. So you should probably give it a wee ding just because it's probably oh, racist. Yeah. What you see, tiny little ding just for the uh, the general. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there might be another bell here, actually, because uh, mm. I don't know. I mean, I went into this film thinking this is going to be racist and this is going to be sexist. But there are some parts where I feel like I may be being hypersensitive about it and I'm thinking, oh, that's a strange word to have called someone who happens to be black. But maybe they mm. were so not racist that, um, you know, it, it, it was just a word that they... They use. There's this line where Strangways puts the money in one of the cups and the guy says, Thank you, master. And I'm just wondering, you know, is that that a black guy calling a rich white man master? Is that racist? I mean it's it's I mean, when I describe it like that, it's racist, but, <laughs> but was it was it intentionally racist in the film or was Don't it think just because so. I mean it's just not like a colony. It's like a colony well I mean that's not to say it's not racist, but it's not like it's just of its time. It's... Yeah, well, I mean, of its time can easily. Yeah, still yeah, be. no. Still... I'm going to give it a little ding, <laughs> just just in case. You know, <laughs> okay. good stuff. All right, so Strangways is now dead. Oh no! Yeah, they also could have waited just like ten minutes for when he went to his house, isolated in the middle of nowhere. Well, well, cut to Strangways' house. <laughs> <laughs> His secretary, unaware of his death, flips open the most obviously fake-looking trick bookcase in the world, revealing a hidden radio with which she sends a mysterious transmission to London. Mid-broadcast, she hears something amiss and leaves to investigate. She quickly discovers that the house is surrounded by assassins who break in and shoot her dead before ransacking the place, ultimately stealing some vaguely important-looking files labelled Dr. No and Crab Key. Again, they've come at her with silent pistols. Mm -hmm. They've taken time to silence their pistols. And then they just smashed through her fucking windows yep. anyway and really loudly ransacked the house. I don't... 
mean, if I heard glass smashing and a woman screaming outside my flat, I, <laughs> my suspicions would be roused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I was meaning. Just wait for him to get home and then just yeah, do them both. Do them both. <laughs> bra, bra. Not efficient blind assassins. Not, not, not efficient. Even slightly not efficient. Didn't didn't bother. I mean, they they took her body as well, but they left the blood stain. Which yeah. was on a rug that they could easily have rolled up and taken with them. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing. Yeah, it's just a bit stupid, really, wasn't it? Mm. <laughs> Although this bit was strangely like. If I, again, it's because I'm thinking of later James Bond, where like you'd have his radio and his fucking shoot, and then it would like <laughs> he'd be able to talk to London from it. That one actually having like a crap transmitter where you could see it saying sending, receiving, and stuff. Like that. I quite like that. That felt authentic and rubbish yeah. <laughs> back in the day, sort of stuff. So. Well, the, the trick bookcase was. Oh yeah, the trick bookcase. It's clearly it was just. Why didn't they just put real books in front of a radio? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't really like the idea of having to oh, move all the books. Yeah, it's just yeah. boring, oh, isn't it? It's yeah. just dull. <laughs> I don't do that every day. <laughs> we cut to Signal House in London. Strangway's secretary's broken transmission is noticed and logged. Uh, it's nothing. This scene is nothing. It's the most incredibly boring scene in any film yeah. I've ever seen. Right. This scene is really only of note to me because the half the time the people speaking, their lips weren't moving. That's really the, the only Good thing. Good fact. <laughs> Such a stiff upper lip. <laughs> uh, we cut now to Le Circle, Ambassadors mm. Club in London. The camera sways through a crowd of tuxedoed men before we finally see Bond sitting at a table with a woman playing Charmin de Fer. Uh, I have no idea what it is. Yeah. Baccarat? Yeah, I think I looked. I still don't, I yeah, don't know what Baccarat is. No, no. no. <laughs> uh, the woman introduces herself as Trench. Sylvia Trench. Uh, to which Bond replies, his name is Bond. James Bond. Oh. Which is lovely, isn't it? That's <laughs> a, the first first one of the film. Uh, Bond fucking wrecks her at whatever weird alien card game they're playing, gloating all the while, before he's suddenly called away on urgent MI6 business. On his way out of the club, he finagles a game of golf, followed by dinner with Sylvia for the next day. The sly dog. <laughs> In my notes, I've got MI6. Is it MI6 he works for, or is it MI7? I, I wrote this, and I, I wrote down MI6, but I think, possibly, it's supposed to be MI7, because okay. I read a little bit of trivia about it, about... Um, in the scene where he's in MI whatever HQ, mm. they really shoddily paste over MI seven into the, the dialogue. <laughs> okay, well, but we'll have to, we'll have to uh, make mm. certain of that for the next one. Yeah, well, I'd always assumed it was MI six. I, I don't thought know it was MI six as well. I mean, I think one's like CIA and one's kind of FBI type of like so one's overseas yeah. and other ones internal kind of Some, like something that. like that, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, it's good to show a little bit of ignorance on the podcast. Oh, yeah. People know that we're human. <laughs> hey, hey guys, we make mistakes too. Many mistakes. <laughs> well, that's that woman you killed, I guess. Oh, whoa, whoa. <laughs> that was intentional. <laughs> okay, right. Not a mistake, not a mistake. Uh, Sylvia, although acted by Eunice Grayson, is voiced by a different woman. She's voiced by, uh, presumably, a Dutch lady called Nikki van der Zyl. What kind of thought? This was like where it started to kick like the theme of just assuming it's going to be like a complete 60s sort of movie where you know everything because she wasn't just some random like dolly bird no <laughs> she was actually like Bond's equal in yeah. the scene so I was kind of I was thinking okay this is actually quite impressive I was just she's not just some random bird that he's gone up to and pinched her arse and yeah. said dinner tomorrow <laughs> well <laughs> she didn't start out like that did she she started out, she, she started out his equal like well not equal he 
Yeah, he, 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 he trashed her. Destroyed her in Shimming de Fur or whatever it is. Um, so he takes a lot of money off her and then he gloats and goes like, Oh, I don't know how I'm winning. I'm just doing it. <laughs> and then she follows him out. She literally gets up and follows him like a puppy to the door. And then he goes, How about golf and dinner? <laughs> He's behaved like an obnoxious little shit. And... Uh, She's yeah, he's behaving like a dick, but she still she could just tell him to fuck off if she but wanted. She, to. But she doesn't. Yeah, and that I think is possibly the sexism that. I just thought it was her making a kind of decision that she liked him. I don't know. I didn't see it. As well, I don't. I mean, fair enough. You could probably work it into the the, the fabric of the film that it's just a, her deciding that she likes him. But I think if you think about the filmmaker's perspective and and think, okay, but. Why has she decided that she likes this little bastard man? <laughs> because he's cornery. No, because he's cornery. Because he's got nice big pecs. <laughs> That's why you're weak. Stop it. <laughs> so he's he's a very very important bit of plot uh, to remember that he's got a date with uh, Sylvia Trench. So everyone remember that. Oh yeah. Because that comes up again mm-hmm. many times. It's really a motif of the film. As Bond called away on urgent business to MI6 or MI7 or whatever, he arrives at the HQ and flips his hat onto a coat stand, which is supposed to make him look suave, but really he only threw it about a foot, so it seems a bit pathetic. He talks briefly with Moneypenny, asking her, Hey, what gives? To which she replies, Me, given an ounce of encouragement, which I think means sex, but I'm not sure. I'm, I'm assuming so. Yeah. I think it must be, but that's very forward, even for the early 60s. Whatever. <laughs> uh, she quickly fills him in on what we know about the goings-on in Jamaica. Um, this entire scene, probably, I'm going to get my, my sexism ding-bell ready here. It's pretty sexist. She's throwing herself at him. <laughs> it's in a very sad, old-fashioned way. She is so desperate for a bit of, you know... Bond. <laughs> Rumpy-pumpy. <laughs> The line in particular that got me was uh, she says she'd like James to take her to dinner and he says that he would but he doesn't want to be, this is a quote <laughs> court-martialed for illegal use of government property Oh man he's just been smooth as well. <laughs> <laughs> But she responds to being called property by basically going, oh you Yeah, <laughs> he's also property though, he just doesn't say that or believe it That's interesting <laughs> Uh, now done with money, Penny. James enters the office of the head of MI6 or Seven, where he's clued in further. It seems that Strangways was in Kingston investigating some kind of outside interference with American space rockets. James is asked to go to Jamaica to investigate the death of Strangways and to see what's happening with those ruddy rockets. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole yeah. film. That's the setup that, for everything. That again, I kind of thought was just kind of weird. Like James Bond doesn't know everything in this scene. Yeah. He's actually made to look like a bit of a tit on numerous occasions. It's not as smug as later ones, like where he knows no, all no, the oriental languages because he got like a first in Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, well, that's an actual cool. quote. <laughs> so it seems almost a wee bit. And then, and then the armorer comes in. Oh, I love the armorer. I love the armorer. <laughs> it just says, "If you want to put it in your handbag." <laughs> I thought you'd love the scene. <laughs> 
Um, t- uh, Armourer, tell, tell James about why the Beretta's good. Oh, it's very nice. It fits in a lady's handbag. <laughs> Just accusing him of shooting a small gun. And he doesn't <laughs> and that see having it. some bearing on anything. He just funny. stands there and ticks it. <laughs> He's given the wall to PPK uh, because his gun jammed in the last mission, yes. which is actually a reference to From Russia with Love, which was the book before Doctor No, where his gun jammed in, oh, okay. uh, at a crucial moment. But the, that film is not until after this one. Oh, yeah. So there's a little bit of a weird anachronism going on there. Uh, oh, uh, nice fight. I've been on the nice IMDb page. Shit. Done. <laughs> I should just pretend that I know these things. Oh, yeah, the head of MI6, though, is a cock. Oh. He's, he's a beautiful cock. He's, a beautiful cock. <laughs> he's the, the most beautifully cockish man I've ever seen on film. <laughs> the bit I really loved, after he finished chiding Bond the entire time, just... <laughs> Uh, James comes in and says uh, afternoon and uh, or, or good evening or yeah. something like that and he goes it's three in the morning <laughs> you have to be a special me. kind of prick don't you to... you're <laughs> up too yeah, but... oh yeah he's just supposed to have a, I know sleeping company time <laughs> yeah that's like, right three, three in, in the morning, morning. <laughs> it's not company time James <laughs> especially it's the sort of thing as well as, as like not only like him accusing him of the sleeping weird hours uh, but also it's 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 the sort of pedantry where yeah. so you go so you go to someone there oh good morning and they're like it's actually twelve fifteen moron <laughs> such a <laughs> such a little dick and See, then James leaves and he's flirting with Money Penny and the guy just buzzes and goes don't flirt <laughs> that was it that was sort of the part where he makes him just look like a bitch he does look, yeah. fair <laughs> enough cock blocks it doesn't really happen in, in, yeah, in the exactly. films, it just especially gets... when Judy Dench ones when she's um, uh, she's always like Oh, Bond. Oh, you are a, a, a rough, tough ragabond. And James Bond's like, I know. And that's it. <laughs> it's basically a sort of like knowing wink to yeah. her, like, I'm a scamp. But in this, he just... He, gets called a lady. Yeah. <laughs> gets called Bond. That's unusual, isn't it, yeah. for James Bond's masculinity to be called into question. Slapped about, it's good. He uh, needs it. Enjoyed it thoroughly. <laughs> I think he, yeah, I agree fully that he fucking needs it. <laughs> so uh, James returns home after his briefing to uh, briefly prepare for his trip. He takes off his shoes before hearing a noise. He pulls out his very slightly larger gun and bursts through a door, behind which is Sylvia, practising golf. She's broken in with a view to sex all at James. She offers no explanation as to how she's broken in, but James doesn't care and dutifully sexes her anyway. We fade out. That is a whole scene. Yeah. See, again, I can have because she's the one, I think, almost seducing him. She is, yeah. Definitely so, she's the one seducing him. I mean, I know she's kind of, like, running after him sort of thing. Yeah, but that's, that's the, at the, the same, that's uncomfortable. It's the same time, she she doesn't seem completely, like, out of control of herself. Like, it just seems like she's getting what she wants. Yeah, sure. It's some, some some degree of empowerment, even if the empowerment she experiences I mean, yeah, is being able to ride on James's cock, but... No, that that is feminism. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Originally, uh, she was supposed to be naked in the scene as well. She was supposed to just show up at James's house and just be naked, practicing golf. But they, the censors made them change it. Bloody Brussels. <laughs> the bit that got me here though is when she said, "Oh, did I do the right thing?" And James goes, "Oh, you did the right thing, but at the wrong time, <laughs> because he has to leave." Yes, I would contest that. That is not the right thing. <laughs> I mean, she broke into his house and 
I mean, even if you ignore the fact that she shat golf balls all over the place mm. in that that room that people in the 60s had that was purely designed for drinking bourbon. <laughs> the, bourbon room, yeah. the bourbon room. <laughs> Go to the bourbon room. The bourbonasium. Um, it's, it's, it's illegal what she's done. And he's a... Yeah, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't give a fuck. No, he doesn't give a fuck. But it's, it is illegal. And he's a man of, of the law. <laughs> <laughs> so he should he, he should definitely say that's nah, not you should not be breaking into people's houses to, that, to fuck all at them. That would be a lovely and nice touch if your citizens arrested <laughs> instead of got a whole bad lounge. <laughs> How did you get in? <laughs> what I like is she doesn't give a shit that he's got a gun. <laughs> no, I was just going to say he's he's a, he is a spy. He's definitely uh, even in the club they were in. He is a spy. He has a gun. He is a dangerous fucking man. And she nearly got shot. That is the sixties man. She nearly <laughs> got in, pointing a fucking gun at her. She nearly got shot. It's not a way to make. Put any... on your dress. <laughs> no, sorry, no. It's not a way to make any potential sexual partner feel safe at all. It's breaking and entering, and it's. I've got this written down. It's bizarre <laughs> and it's dangerous, and she's made a mess. <laughs> just ding, ding, ding. The most Alan Partridge bit of a podcast so far. <laughs> <laughs> She has made a mess. That's a lot of fucking golf balls he's put all over the floor. Who's going to clean that up? Is it her? He's got to leave. He's got right. business. Well, of course, she'd be an No part, no part of what she did was the right thing, other than bringing a vagina to James's house like she's the just eat of cooch. <laughs> that is that is literally the only thing that she did was correct. And <laughs> James cares more about having a vagina in his house than he does about mm-hmm. breaking and entering, <laughs> nearly killing a woman, and being. There being golf balls all over the well, floor. Well, this was my second thing that I had running. Well, so I was watching it was... I was waiting for the trigger for it to go like full fucking bond. Yeah. And then there was the psychopath moments. Yeah. <laughs> and this is definitely one of them. Because neither of them show like surprise when they should. <laughs> you, you mean you're, you're watching it actually analysing it for psychopathic, like legitimate yeah, psychopathic yeah. behaviour? Because, yeah. Yeah. There's tons of it. <laughs> I can imagine there is, but yeah, this this whole scene is just, you know, it's it's purely there to say, James Bond get mad pussy, bruv. <laughs> Do you know how much pussy this man get? It loads, and that's it. That yeah, it. this was the first movie that people made. This is character right. film. Right. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. Yeah, it's also. It's, it's sort of a weird juxtaposition of him going, ooh, did the right thing, but at the wrong time, being all suave. But he's still romping around in his little socks, is the thing. He's got the full suit on and just the socks. It's quite adorable, I think. James then, after fucking a woman, yep. and that is literally... Yep. I, I could not go deeper into that scene. No, James, do, do, do. James, after fucking a woman, flies to <laughs> Kingston. We cut to Kingston Airport in Jamaica, and James walks through with the incredibly lax security... As he leaves the airport, a very sinister woman takes his picture. I'm not sure why or how he just let it happen, but he must have noticed her because her camera was about nine feet tall. No, I think he did see the person taking his picture, though, because he covers his face with his hat. Does he cover his face? Yeah, I, I wondered if he did. I saw the hat move. Because they referenced it later. Oh, okay. Ooh, I should have noticed that, then, if it's actually in the film. But I didn't. Hey. Fallible. Human. Hey, I'm relatable. Aww. Come on, guys. There's a lovely chauffeur waiting for him from mm-hmm. Government House. Um, Bond, however, is clearly suspicious of the chauffeur's motives. He suspects a trap and calls Government House to check if they have indeed sent a car, which they haven't. 
Bond willingly walks into the trap anyway. Yeah, that's what I put down as another psychopath moment. Because <laughs> he knew... Shit, you're right. <laughs> he knew it was going to kill a man. <laughs> he knew it. <laughs> Straight up. Well, did he know? Yes. Okay, shit. Right. Or he was at least going to torture him yeah, for information. Yeah, I definitely knew he was at least going to torture a man, which I suppose he did. He could have got him arrested in so many ways, but he chose to just... A man or a man confrontation <laughs> with him. <laughs> Throughout the entire scene, Bond is being tailed by a, a deeply suspicious man trying to look oh. in, inconspicuous. He's wearing sort of horn-rimmed lady sunglasses. Those sunglasses were weird. <laughs> what, what did he think they were accomplishing? Why you were so bloody obvious. He'll never recognise me, a man he's never seen before in these sunglasses. These bright white horned sunglasses. That was so weird. He's being followed by Dame Edna. <laughs> that, that's what he looked like. Is Dame Edna? Hey Dame, I hate you. Yeah, so uh, Bond and his driver, Mr. Jones, depart and proceed along a countryside road a little faster than James would ideally like. Jones tells him that, oh sorry, Mr. Jones tells him that this is because they're being followed by a man wearing lady sunglasses. James instructs him to take a turning into some field or other, thereby eluding the pursuers. Once parked, James points a gun at Mr. Jones and demands to know who he's working for. Mr. Jones attempts to lie, utterly unconvincingly, and then attacks James. James beats him up. (laughs) Before finally, Mr. Jones, now subdued, bites down on a cigarette containing cyanide, which James allowed him to have anyway, like an idiot. Yeah, see, all the psychopath <laughs> sort of moments. Yep. And the second one's coming up very soon and made me laugh a lot, but I'm going to wait I'm for that to... I know what that is. <laughs> the fight scene was, was crap. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> sort of just flopping about like uh, Two fish just trying to fuck. Also, I'm assuming... Uh, like, yeah, this guy has been sent off by, spoiler, by Dr. No. Oh my god. And um, presumably Dr. No, with the, the immeasurable budget of at least a million pounds um, dollars, uh, he would have some degree, some some money set aside to train his counterintelligence operatives to have some proficiency in armed combat, or hand-to-hand combat, rather. But that man just... It was pathetic. <laughs> it's like, what, what it reminded me of is when you're sitting down and a cat wants to jump on you, but you want no part of that cat being on you, and you move it and it comes back onto yeah, you. It was like just yeah. flopping it and off. And then the cat takes cyanide. Oh. Also, something else is just the amount of product placement in this film already. See, I <laughs> read just... something about there being a lot of product placement, but I didn't, I didn't spot any of it. I'm just desensitized. The scene where the car leaves, like. At the airport, it just swings around, and then there's just this long, lingering shot, an American likes a Chevy or something like that, and it just sits dead centre. <laughs> like, I didn't spot that. I just, I, uh, that's actually very worrying. <laughs> I, I, I used to be able to spot this in my And do you have a strange wish to buy American cars now? <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> exactly. They've got oh, you. No. <laughs> James finally arrives at Government House in the car he stole from the man who's now lying dead on the back seat. He just drives straight up with this corpse in the back seat of a man that he as good as murdered. And I'm, I'm imagining this is your second psychopath moment here. Maybe. <laughs> Where he, he drops his car up and then says just, to the, the, the guy, the guard, um, what is it he says, make sure he doesn't get away. And then he just like hops out of the car and walks away. And the guy is clearly distressed. He has distressed this guard. <laughs> That's the one. He just says a piffy comment, walks away, leaves the guy to discover 
that it's a corpse. <laughs> and that's it's it. fucking horrible. <laughs> it's unusually brutal. Uh, this is actually uh, I've 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 come up with a, a concept for a little uh, a running thing from the for, for the for the cast. This is our first iteration of James Bond's unusually callous quip concerning the death of another human being. Right. This one, not so bad, but fairly bad. The context of which is in is worse yeah. than the quip itself. <laughs> Although the but quip the itself quip is pretty bad. It's fairly, fairly poor. Yeah. So that's, that's the first one of them, the very first one. Make sure he doesn't get away, referring to a corpse in the car that he has driven up to government house. <laughs> <laughs> he enters government house to meet the colonial secretary and a military man who only goes by the name Duff, I think. Yeah. Uh, he wears the most adorable little khaki shorts and yeah, shin-high yeah, socks yeah. and he looks utterly ridiculous. I wish there was more screen time devoted to this man, but there wasn't. He asks him, who were the last people to see Strangways alive? And also, can he inspect Strangways house? Duff agrees and drives him over. Bond investigates Strangway's house. Amongst other things, he notices that Strangway's has a receipt for a geological survey from Dent Laboratories, and that Strangway's has a picture of himself with a local fisherman, who also happens to be the driver of the car that's hailed Bond previously. Intrigue! Again, Um, this still just feels like... There's still zero bullshit. He doesn't just then pull out his watch and scan the room and find something. It's just looking about. It's it's really weird. (laughs) Bond. Bond then retires to his hotel room to bathe before meeting the last people to see Strangway alive. Now in his hotel room, Bond takes his first martini of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Not stirred, but not not shaken or shaken. No, uh, mm. <laughs> not stirred, but also not shaken. Not not shaken. Not. Sh- I don't know. It's it's stirred. He just says yeah, stirred. Stirred. I'll have a martini. Stirred. Yeah, and uh, he didn't quite see the full. No, it's not shaken. Not stirred, but it, it, it's yeah, it's stirred at least. Bond then sets a series of clever traps, including blowing talcum powder onto the combination for his briefcase and sticking a hair across the doorway to one of his cupboards to see later if anyone has been rummaging around his uniquely hideous room. He then heads out to the Queen's Country Club. This is that sort of style of like old Bond, where they the the, the, the really old school traps like rub it and talcum yeah, powder yeah, to yeah. see if there's any fingerprints and stuff. I thought that was very nice. I, I quite liked that again. Definitely sort of its time because they didn't make it like yeah, actually I had to piece together what the hell he was doing yeah. which he might not necessarily have done like he wasn't being sort of spoon fed do you, do you know what I thought he was doing with the, the briefcase was that I thought he was putting some kind of like explosive powder <laughs> into it that, that if he clicked the, yeah, the thing in the wrong yeah, thing and tried yeah, to open just... it it would go up in their face but I, I think I might be it might be a little too early in the series to really uh... I think so just start just blowing up briefcases it's not that far away, but yeah, it's it's a bit more. I think it might be the very next film. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. But it's a bit more old school. It's just mm. safe. I, I did enjoy it. Back in the Queen's Country Club, Bond speaks briefly to the last men to see Strangways alive. They tell him that he had recently developed a passion for fishing, chartering a boat from a man named Quarrel, presumably the one in the pictures that we were seeing. Uh, now at a small port, James locates and approaches Quarrel. He asks him some questions about Strangways. Quarrel isn't cooperative and leaves without offering much help. And when I say isn't cooperative, I mean is fantastically belligerent. Yes. Fabulously belligerent, <laughs> I would describe him as. There's this one bit where he says, uh, James says, Where did you take him on your boat? And Quarrel goes, and I'm going to... Di- I'm going to do the accent. I'm okay, going to try. I'll prepare goes, myself. <laughs> See that? That's the Caribbean out there. I take him out fishing. Is essentially 
like saying to James Bond, like James goes, where did you take him? On this boat. And Quarrel goes, the sea! <laughs> and <laughs> James yeah. Bond and Connery have killed for less. <laughs> take some stones. <laughs> so what did you make of our first introduction to Quarrel, who is probably going to... Oh, result in a lot so more racism many. dings going on. <laughs> Quarrel to um to to elucidate a little is a, a big stockily built black man with sort of large bulging eyes and Yeah, very poor grasp well not poor grasp of English, but no, yeah, it's, just sort it's, of... it's sort of broken it's it's not quite pigeon English, but it's close. It's yeah. some sort of the Half literate. I did a Google for an actor that played him. Okay. <laughs> and the first picture that comes up of him is like a headshot where he looks like James Bond. <laughs> like he's so suave looking in it. So the actual actor went from basically wearing the clothes that Connery wore <laughs> down to just like. That red t shirt. Yes, that. I mean, that's fine, that's changing, but it's just like Captain and all that. Like, it's, uh, it's he's so James poor. Captain, doesn't he? Yeah, it, it's a bit uncomfortable to watch now. This is when it starts to get a bit more 60s. It does, it does become. I mean, I saw Quarrel and I thought, oh shit. <laughs> That's, you know, there's there's some shit's going to go down now. There's going to be a lot of dinging going on. I don't feel he was as bad as he could have been or as bad as I expected him to be. But That's true. But Again, he was bad. It's, <laughs> it's the more subtle. In the way that the woman is just chasing Bond all over the place, this yeah. is just like it's expected to be subservient to Bond <laughs> in yeah, some sort yeah. of way, and it's yeah, it, it is. It, it's, yeah, he's, he's calling him Captain, even when he's like belligerent and uh, yeah. I don't I'm slightly uncomfortable. Let's let's just ding again just to be sure. Ding. I now feel better about myself. My weight goat has been <laughs> alleviated. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> it's about time we got some white guilt alleviated. <laughs> Quarrel leaves, walking quickly to a little bar. James follows him. Quarrel apparently relents and ushers James into a back room to talk privately. Once there, Quarrel pulls out a knife. James looks at him like he's a baby duckling wearing boxing doves quacking, Put up your dukes! Not allowed even a moment and continue his pitying glare, James is grabbed behind by the owner of the bar, apparently in league with Quarrel. James continues being nonplussed. He kicks the knife out of Quarrel's hands and flips the owner into some boxes. James finally believes he's won, but is ambushed from behind by a man with a gun. Oh no! But wait! The man is Felix Leitner, and as it turns out, he and Bond are on the same side, which we find out incredibly quickly. There's no attention to the scene at all. Uh, Who are you working for? The British! Uh, me too. <laughs> yeah, somewhere he get. That's, I've got that down as bit of wank. <laughs> he has some wank. where he gets his um, his clothes from. Yeah, and he's got shovel rule. Oh yeah, that's right. And he goes, shovel rule. Well, I've got a guy in Washington or something like that. And yeah. This is super spy speak for I am CIA. <laughs> <laughs> and I am MI seven. <laughs> Uh, he makes up with the owner and Quarrel and the... Uh... He also insults the owner, so don't... Oh, of course he does, uh, yeah. He does insult the owner. But, you know, he's he's, he's he's of a slightly tanned disposition, so, yeah, so <laughs> he's, he's there to be mocked. <laughs> uh, they all seem positively affable now, which is weird, considering James basically just broke Quarrel's arm. <laughs> now, the owner of the bar is an interesting one. Uh-huh. Did you catch his name? I thought... I can't remember. It's like... No, it's not Perry something. Like that. No, it's weirder than that. His name is Pussfella. Pussfella, that's it, yeah. Pussfella. Sounds a bit like 
puss filler, which is like... bawdy. But <laughs> did you at any point get the um, the reason he was called puss filler? No. This is not in a film. In the book, the character's backstory is that he once wrestled off an octopus who was trying to attack him. Okay. So he is a puss fella, an octopus fella. He felled an octopus. So his name is Pussfella because he felled an octopus. But in the film, for some reason, they changed it to alligators. Yes. So there's no <laughs> fucking link at all. You, you want to escape because he's he wrestles alligators. He wrestles alligators. Yeah. Just say octopi. <laughs> That's all you have to do to make it consistent. But they didn't. <laughs> that is my favourite tidbit because it's one that they really fucked up very badly in the production of the film. Later that night, Bond, Felix and Quarrel share intelligence on the respective super-secret missions at the bar. I want you to tell me what's wrong with this scene, because I bet you've picked it up. They're kind of right out in open discussing super-secret fights. They are all the fucking tippity-top of the (laughs) super-secret spy organisations, and they're discussing in blatant detail (laughs) the middle of a bar, which is having a party in the live gig. It's the least private place. You'd have to shout to get out over it. Are you a doctor? No. Crab key <laughs> What? They have a back room full of boxes and stuff. They could easily have sat in there. Yeah, but that's they... how Quarrel gets them in that room to fight him, as he says it's private in that room. <laughs> <laughs> They eventually hit on the idea of the nearby island of Crab Key, owned by a mysterious Doctor No who allows no outsiders to visit as being of particular interest to them in their search for what is toppling American rockets. That is a run-on sentence I've written. (laughs) During this time, the same photographer from the airport rushes up to snap a shot of the group. James sends Quarrel after her, who drags her back across the dance floor by her arm. So she sits down with them, and this is another one of these things where I'm not sure if this is a bit of racism or if it's you know, just a word, because Quarrel is a stocky chap. He's got, you know, big strong arms, and mm-hmm. he's, he's big barrel chest, and, you know, he, in the way that he's built, you know, you, you could say almost ape-like, but hey. she does say um, something like, get this ape off of me or something, yeah, which, something again, like... it's like... Only Quarrel is being referred to as an ape here, and it's strange that they would call the black character an ape. But I could see, you know, because he's stocky and he's, he's strong, a... that it would, that's why you, you, yeah. you call, like, you know, like a mafia goon an ape or something. I get this big ape off of me, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> don't I don't know, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's sat uncomfortably with me, but I don't know if that's, like, inherent. It wouldn't happen now. That's for sure. No, for like so the one black think, character to be prob- singled out and yeah. called an ape. But I think we probably deserve a little ding for that. Yeah, because it's probably certainly some people would have interpreted it. I, I mean, that might be a ding that suggests we are more inherently racist in our minds than the film. But I think that's unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they interrogate this woman in the middle of the club, and though she gives up nothing, Bond destroys her film. Uh, they ultimately let her go unscathed, despite Quarrel's clear desire to snap the bitch's arm. I which... still don't know why he destroyed her camera. Like, because it could have pictures of James Bond. meeting in a public place, as you see. <laughs> no, you don't need pictures of James Bond, though. He's a spy. Oh, okay, cool. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's Quarrel's desire to snap her arm is 
you know, she's just gouged his face with a flashbulb. Yeah. Even though, fun fact about flashbulbs, um, of the time they were renowned for exploding. Mm-hmm. So they coated them with a plastic film to stop that happening so they wouldn't actually shatter if you hit them on the table. I'm sorry for ruining the <laughs> suspension of disbelief yeah. for you, but yeah, she's a she gouges his face with some yeah, glass anyway. She, I think it's it's it, that's probably fair. I'd be annoyed. Yeah, I mean, she's just, just protecting herself. But really. yeah, Quarrel takes it like a champ, though, doesn't he? He oh, just sort of puts his hand on his face and goes, "Eh." <laughs> but that's good. Quarrel is cool. I do like Quarrel. I really he's... like the character of Quarrel, but I don't know if I, I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you wait, go to let it go. <laughs> it's 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 running hot in me today. Um, they decide ultimately to visit Crab Key. As Bond leaves the bar to prepare for his voyage for Crab Key, he's very nearly assassinated by the same three blind men who killed Strangways. They sort of, they've got their their silence pistol set up across the road, yeah, uh, waiting for waiting for Bond to come out to his car. And what? yeah, he's walking to the hotel, isn't he? He's walking to the hotel, <laughs> and he's uh, they're pointing this this gun at him as he's getting into a, a car, and um, they're blinded by another car's headlights, which. Because they're on the side of the road, that would almost certainly not happen in terms of just physics. He's also wearing sunglasses, isn't he? I think he might be. But then he is blind, mate, so... Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck aiming the gun. <laughs> he's not actually blind, I know he's though. not actually blind. He's playing a character. It's called acting. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, yeah. No, that scene kind of annoyed me, because they yeah. just come in and out of the film. Like, That's uh, the last time we see them, isn't it? Yeah, that's what. Like they're just so they make one shit attempt to kill him. I mean, shit attempt to kill him. Well, they could have just done what they did to Strangways. Yeah, they could have gone up to the club. Because what was even the point of pretending to be blind? Like the whole, I guess the whole shitty reasoning behind it is yeah. Yeah. you look kind of you're not a threat, despite the fact you you would be a wee bit. Mm, yes, yeah. guys. And then you can get. <laughs> oh god! Blind come on! Want to be feared, <laughs> my one true fear. Um, but then, yeah, they just—they don't bother using a disguise. No. In fact, they blatantly—they discard it. Yeah, yeah, they discard it by aiming a pistol at someone. Yeah, Bond makes a quick stop at the geological research laboratory of Professor Dent, who is one of the uh, the men who saw Strangways alive last. He speaks briefly to the professor about the receipt found in Strangway's house. The professor tells him that Strangway's wanted some rocks valued, but it turns out they were worthless iron pyrite. Um, Bond asks where they came from, and could they have come from Crab Key? <laughs> Den tells Bond that Crab Key doesn't have any iron pyrite, so no, idiot. Bond leaves. This scene is supposed to be remarkably yeah. tense, I feel. But it doesn't it's really come across as it. kind of ruined by the fact he's hitting on his secretary as well. Don't get me started on that fucking secretary. <laughs> <laughs> she's awful She's the acting was awful I've actually written down one line I've written it down how she delivers it as well I was like, can you send the professor Dent in here <laughs> oh never mind <laughs> yeah it's a bit dark please isn't it yeah, very very dark place um, yeah so this this whole scene it's supposed to be tense it's not really stilted yeah very very awkward He's just kind of hassling him, trying to annoy him a wee bit. It's Columbo. Like, yeah. Say, it's like... he, he, this is actually the scene where he turns around and goes, one more thing, professor. <laughs> yeah. But then he doesn't ask him another question, he just grabs a receipt out of his hands. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So it's not as good as Columbo. <laughs> not, not, not even close to Columbo. <laughs> uh, 
So after this encounter between Bond and the Professor, the Professor, um, who is apparently up to some nefarious shit after all, charters a fishing boat immediately and, and heads to Crab Key. Once there, he's ushered into a very spooky room where he sits alone. The voice of what I assume is Dr. No plays through a PA system. And the Professor warns No that Bond is sniffing around Crab Key. No scolds the Professor for coming during the day, as if it makes a difference, and says that if Bond should come to the island, then he will hold the Professor solely accountable. He orders Dent to take a cage with a spider in it off a nearby table and tells him to kill Bond in the night with it. This is my trigger point. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, can, I can certainly see why that would be the case. It went from being kind of yeah, Columbo-esque to just like, you've got the voice, just yeah, the voice, just the voice, the weird room, which I actually quite thought was quite cool looking. Yeah, like I've actually filmed. got that written down here. Right? <laughs> this is the first time in the film that I've actually thought the cinematography was good. Yeah. And uh, And then the stupid assassination plan <laughs> it's just like well let's not give those other guys a chance to shoot him in the head let's use a spider why if he if he doesn't mind not having it look like an accident why does he need a spider <laughs> I mean no one cares that they vanish two people well the British government cared that yeah. they vanish two people but that's it yeah. <laughs> he seems to be able to and kill even, with even even the, the British government yeah, located in Kingston don't seem to give that much of a fucking <laughs> shit they're, they're very like 60s colonial just sort of sitting fans just going another one's missing no oh dear gosh, oh gosh. Oh, that is bad isn't it don't tell black too that reflects badly on us oh well drink yes I'll have some of that Indian chai <laughs> so I thought the villain so far what we've seen of him or heard of him is uh, I thought he was very good he's uh very very sinister really yeah, yeah. the, the, the yeah, voice the way it's delivered is um, remarkably sinister very evil sounding I, I enjoyed it a lot what he was saying was stupid yes, <laughs> yes it was. take this tarantula and put it in James Bond's bed <laughs> uh, <laughs> so now we're in Bond's hotel room anyway we come back uh, as does Bond after a hard day sleuthing the clever traps he set up earlier tell him that someone has been in his room opened his briefcase looked around his cupboard and ruffled all of his things he begins to pour himself a drink but stops reasoning that hang on this is probably poison now actually not to worry though as he has a brand new unopened bottle of vodka <laughs> like a big raging alcoholic <laughs> he drinks and then falls asleep shortly afterwards also like an alcoholic <laughs> Bond sleeps, though is awoken during the night by the professor's spooky bed tarantula clambering all up on him. Frightened, though composed, he waits for the spider to crawl all the way up his body and then step off onto the pillow before leaping from his bed and beating it to shitsville with the bottom of his shoe. Bond then goes back to sleep. This is classic, classic Bond. Classic Bond. (laughs) Where the fuck did the spider suddenly come from? I don't know, I didn't see... In the professor wasn't in his room when we at any point, <laughs> and like just it's just shit. It's, it's like, fucking especially it, it essentially it claims over him. Yeah, it then claims off of him. Yeah. <laughs> Conrad lets it claim off of him, <laughs> throws it to the ground, and hits it with a shoot. The scene is a man killing a harmless spider with a shoot. <laughs> well, it could be as big as a plate or as small as a penny. <laughs> But. This seemed to be just as scary for Bond. But you say harmless spider, but actually tarantula bites can be quite painful. Oh, no. <laughs> now, now, Doctor I mean, No, the evil bastard, has given uh, James Bond a, a boo boo. 
It's gone all wilty. <laughs> I'm going back to there London. Are, there are some instances in which an average tarantula bite can kill a human if they have some kind of allergic reaction, for example. <laughs> so you're trying but... to leave nuts and buns, fucking food <laughs> <laughs> or something? Yes. Put a we... complimentary Snickers in his room. <laughs> that will get a bastard. There's different breeds of tarantula as well, and I'm sure, I haven't looked into it properly, but I'm absolutely certain that some tarantula bites will kill a human. But not many. <laughs> and then we cute cage this bite that comes in as well. Little bird cage. Very, very adorable. Um, the spider's name was Rosie. Oh. There you go. Rosie the tarantula. <laughs> Lovely. Nice. Um, did you notice anything a bit strange about this scene when you were watching it when the spider was crawling up Connery? It looked like a hand <laughs> coming like a hand. Like underneath no, it was, the... It, it was a for real spider. Oh, is that? Okay. It was a for real spider. Um, but James Bond, I'm sorry, not James Bond, uh, Sean Connery, mm-hmm. I can conflate the two, uh, is absolutely scared to fucking death of spiders. So the scenes where they have to have his face in it, they had to put a sheet of glass over him and have the spider crawling up it. Really? And if you look at the scene, you <laughs> see that the spider is clearly not touching him. Like it sort of it crawls up, it's completely even. It doesn't the spider doesn't wobble from side to side and you can see it like going all over his crevices, like all up in between his arm and stuff, and it just doesn't change its position. Oh. It looks so bad when you know what you're looking for. I went back to watch it after I read that and I was oh, that's why it looks fucking awful. They had to do scenes where his stuntman would sub in who was the worst lookalike for Sean Connery I've ever seen. He, he's just a guy who played Quarrel. <laughs> well, no, Sean Connery is, is is quite tan in the film. Yeah, he's got a little tan going on, but this guy is so white you can tell when it switches to him. That is not Sean Connery's arm that the tarantula's climbing up. It looks fucking rubbish. The special effects where it's so bad though, the, the glass you can actually see squishing up against Connery's body. It's so bad. I need to watch that again. So unsurprisingly. Um, the whole tarantula debacle was dealt with absolute ease by James Bond, renowned killer of armed men yep. and survivalist. <laughs> <laughs> A shocker, I thought the movie was about the end, but move on, I guess. So the next day, completely unperturbed by what has happened, not even mentioned again, <laughs> Bond returns to Government House to ask the Colonial Secretary for all the files he has on Crabkey and Dr. No. Of course, we saw these get stolen in the first scene, so the, uh, the Secretary cannot give these very important files to James Bond. Because he didn't make a single copy of these files also, about a man and an island which are under federal investigation. <laughs> uh, before leaving, Bond picks up a package that was sent to him from London containing a Geiger counter. He leaves the consulate, somehow managing to secure a date with the secretary's secretary, Miss Tarot, later in the day. You sly dog, James. Who was listening at the door. Yeah, she was blatantly, blatantly a double agent. He comes out and he's like, not sure, well, an awful wicked habit you have there. <laughs> You've accused and killed people for less than what she's done. She shouldn't be listening. Yeah, the but door. she's a pretty lady. So. That's true. That's true. You better make sure she's evil before you kill her. <laughs> There's a short scene after this where um, Bond and and Felix and Quarrel check the boat that they took Strangways out to uh, Crab Key on to check for radiation. Yep. Uh, and it turns out it is radioactive. And My favourite bit of that scene was he to. casually waves it over his watch face oh. and just goes, she radioactive. 
It's, it's such a sixties thing to like not give a fuck about your radioactive. It's like over time, radiation are good. Radiation are all powerful. My favorite part of this scene, which I'm surprised you wasn't yours, was uh, when they they asked Quarrel to take them to Crab Key, and Quarrel goes, oh. "I'm going there. Oh, a dragon lived there." Yes. Which, first of all, <laughs> quite. Quite racist for the only black man of the entire crew to be harbouring these quite rudimentary <laughs> superstitions. Um, but then Felix also brings attention to this by going, sort of dismissing Coral right off out of hand and going, ah, that's just a native superstition. <laughs> <laughs> Which I. Yeah. Why even bother with it? Instead of going to Crab Key, Bond decides to uh, have his date with Miss Tarot. Once back at the hotel, Miss Tarot calls Bond and suggests that instead of her coming up to his hotel for the date, he should pick her up from the isolated mountain apartment in which she lives. She gives him directions and he sets off. On the way, he's tailed by the assassin's hearse, which somehow keeps up with his sports car. After a brief chase, he drives his car under a nearby crane arm, conveniently blocking the road. The hearse is too big and must swerve to avoid it driving off the edge of the mountain in the process the assassin's car explodes into a ball of flames as it drops this is probably the most intensely <laughs> incoherent scene of the entire film it's, it's tying up a loose end doesn't it oh, you know, we were saying about the assassins not coming back this is them coming back <laughs> just so they managed to the most convoluted way to kill the first guy ever I mean they're like three stitches at this yeah. point they then just get blinded by yep. a car somehow mm-hmm. and then don't just walk in and shoot him nope. <laughs> and they then just drive a car off a cliff I think I think they're bad assassins I think they're bad assassins <laughs> the hearse going down the mountain we have to talk about it it is a trope <laughs> in scenes now when a car falls off <laughs> any sort of like you know any yeah, degree yeah, of yeah, height yeah. it explodes but that car was just going downhill. That's all that car was doing. It was a very, very slight incline. The Simpsons scene where Moman's car (laughs) goes down and stops before the tree then just explodes. (laughs) I mean, it it wasn't even a mountain. It was like, what would you say that degree was it was going down? It must have been like, you know, fairly fairly sedate. Yeah. uh, Yeah, it was just... Like a 25 degree incline or something. It was tragic. (laughs) It just... it just exploded as it was rolling down. It didn't hit anything. It didn't do anything. Imagine if all hearses were like that. He's driving to to your uncle's fucking wake or something. There's a slight decline in the road. Half your uncle's body just takes your car. Just turned into a cremation. To be honest, if, it's what he would have wanted. If it was my own funeral, it'd be exactly what I wanted. <laughs> We have our second unusually callous quip concerning the death of another human being in this scene, <laughs> which is probably one of the worst. I think it must be one of the worst in any James Bond film. The crane operator runs up to James and he, and he goes, How did it happen? Which is a good question. Weird. <laughs> weird thing to say. And, and James replies, I think they were on their way to a funeral. That's what he says. Not, it doesn't follow. It's not. A, it's not a pun. It's not a joke. It's not a, really a quip. It's just, haha, they're dead. <laughs> he might as well have slapped his fucking thigh and gone, haha, they're dead. Uh, now we're now at Tarot's house. Bond approaches the door and he rings. She answers. She's surprised to see him, presumably because she thought he was just killed. He enters the house and forces himself upon her, first with a kiss and then with sexing. 
See, this... This... I'm sorry to interrupt <laughs> you, but this is my favourite scene in the whole goddamn film. This, this entire thing is just... <laughs> it's all over the place. There's one long, constant bell ring. Yes. It's fucking grotesque. It's psychopathic. Because <laughs> I've got it down here yep. <laughs> to increase the counter. Absolutely psychopathic. It is just... It's actual rape. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he knows she's a double agent. Yep. So he just lets her play along. It is, yeah, this is... <laughs> it's really actually... We'll introduce the second feature of the film where Times James Bond has legitimately raped <laughs> someone. And this is, this is our first count. Because, like, she... He takes the towel off of her and he actually smells it and kind of eats it a wee yeah, bit. Yeah, I, I wrote it down. I didn't know if he sucked it or not, but yeah. it looked so much like he... Well, I'll, I'll just... I'll describe this. Um... So he walks in and he grabs her by the collar or whatever. She's wearing a towel. Yeah, she's got a towel around her neck. Towel around her, her towel around her waist, and over underneath her armpits, and a towel in her hair. Uh, and he grabs her sort of by the by the collar and he pulls her in and he kisses her and she's clearly uncomfortable and he knows she's uncomfortable <laughs> because he knows she's a double agent. Uh, she resists and his reply, this is amazing, is. Oh, I thought I was invited up here to admire the view. (laughs) Which means her naked. It's like, imagine... (laughs) Imagine going... Take away the sort of James Bond speak, and what you've got is someone going into someone's house, trying to force themselves on her, and she goes, no, I'm I'm not not interested. And he goes, come on, darling, you invited me up here. (laughs) That's all it is. This is... It could verbatim be that really weird anti-rape advert where... Um, the, I kind of the, the now understand is, why they exist. <laughs> the, <laughs> the penny the guy, is yeah, dropped. Yeah, the guy, the guy is forcing himself on a girl, and he's sort of standing behind the glass, banging like he sees himself raping the girl from afar, and he's banging on the glass like, "Ah, oh, stop! What are you doing?" He's like, "If you could see yourself, you wouldn't do a rape." And it's, <laughs> I wish James Bond could see himself. <laughs> he still would though. Yeah, he'd be cheering himself on behind that glass. So the phone rings, she turns around to answer it, and as she turns, he grabs a towel out of her hair, and then he sort of sucks it. He puts it in his mouth and smells it and starts sucking it. That's very strange. That just presumably tastes and smells of shampoo. What what I don't understand is who the actual person producing this film (laughs) was trying to get across. Are we meant to... Like, go, whoop on! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's going to get her, that dirty double agent, and also human woman who is a a separate, sentient entity. He's actually using rape as a weapon of war (laughs) at this point. He's no better than, like, (laughs) a horrible crime committed. Yeah, yeah. I think we can probably count using rape as a weapon of war as an instance where we can go, yeah, yeah, so uh, let's have that. Uh, Taro answers the phone and is told from the people on the other end that Bond has survived, obviously. (laughs) She's asked to keep him there for several hours, which is essentially these other people, Dr. No, going, will you just fuck him then until until we can get someone else up there to assassinate him? So I'm going to give us a second. Um, Bond interrupts this phone call and... He does that just by walking straight into the room. The door is shut. He walks straight on into the bedroom, and he's he's holding the towel they took out of her hair like a garrote as well. Like he's, I mean, it, I think that's just a cinematic device, just to say he knows. But yeah. at the same time, oh, <laughs> I just, there's no part of me that's rooting for Bond in this. You know, in uh, Old Son in Philadelphia, the implication. Not the implication. <laughs> I mean, that is a joke used in that TV show. To highlight someone as a psychopath. <laughs> and 
and potential rapist, I believe. Yes. <laughs> so he then sits behind her, and we, we hear the sound of a zipper being pulled down, and she goes, What's going on behind my back? And Bond doesn't answer. <laughs> so it's it's kind of just like suggested that she's having her dress taken off, but we've already mentioned that she was wearing a towel. So what was zipper? <laughs> was it Bond taking his cock out? <laughs> I have some some just weird special towel. <laughs> I don't know. I've really got no idea. It, it's strange. We need to, need to rewatch it, really. <laughs> uh, Bond fucks her, or to be slightly more polite, Bond makes boolaloop on her. <laughs> okay. From the underneath the mango tree song, which is going on throughout the entire thing. Uh... Me honey and me make boolaloop soon, which means sex fucking, doesn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the scene fades out anyway. We, <laughs> we fade back in sometime later after the deed. The post-coitus Bond shouts like a fucking Oh, child. this bit I love this bit. <laughs> I'm hungry! <laughs> Let's go out and eat! She then offers to cook him something. And he's like, No, I don't want mummy's Chinese food. I want McDonald's. <laughs> he, wants... he says, in fact, I don't want you getting pan hands. Dish pan hands. Dish pan. He doesn't want dish pan hands. <laughs> that... I had to look that up. <laughs> that was doing. just fucking funny, is it? Let's just quickly break for dish pan hands to go. <laughs> okay. uh, dish pan hands is a type of uh, eczema, apparently. You can get it if, if you uh, wash pans a lot or wash, do washing up quite a lot, oh. which suggests that she is being made to do washing up quite a lot because <laughs> she is a woman. <laughs> so yeah, I'm gonna yeah, we've done the bell for that. But, yeah. um, I had that down as classic Bond, because that's just like, this has gone full Bond by now. This is like random. This is, this is I mean, there's, up, there's rape, there's yep. just car chase scenes like, <laughs> that make no sense. Yeah. Shit assassination plots, and yep. again, another shit assassination so Bond calls a taxi to go to the restaurant despite her being clearly unwilling however when the car arrives it's actually the police he forces her into the car and tells the superintendent to book her boys she spits at him he doesn't care probably wiped it up and licked it later (laughs) he walks back into her house and arranges the place as if they were still in bed he waits suspecting that someone will soon arrive to assassinate him in his sleep Eventually, this does happen. It's the professor. It's the who, shittest in possible. Who, who would have thunk it? Now, I know you failed with the spiders. <laughs> Maybe a gun. Make sure it's only. Make sure when you walk into the room, you discharge all of the bullets, because otherwise, he might survive. Favorite line is "Drop it, professor." <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's very good. <laughs> Yeah, he arrives to assassinate Bond in his sleep. Uh, Professor sneaks into his room, unloads all six shots in his Smith & Wesson into uh, into a pillow, which James is, is cleverly disguised to look like himself. Uh, James then ambushes the Professor, and after gaining literally no new information, kills him in total cold blood. Psychopath. Because <laughs> he's yeah. so blatantly reaching for his gun. Yeah. And then he lets him like get a, sort of the click yeah. of yeah. it, and then he goes, and then he just... He could arrest him like he arrested the girl. He could do anything, get some use of him. He just shoots him yeah, down no, like a dog. Yeah, he could easily be arrested, yeah. Uh, well, this is actually uh, quite interesting. Um, at the time, this this is really playing into your psychopath thing, is that uh, when they filmed it, mm. the reason the film looks it cuts off so quickly is because um, he, he clicks, he gets the click on his gun, and he's got no bullets in it, and James goes, uh, what's, what's the quote? It's a Smith and Wesson, and you've had your six, and that's it. And then he shoots him twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the actual first part of that, 
James shot him six times because that's how many times he would have shot James. <laughs> so exact revenge. <laughs> Focusing on the numbers of it as well is yeah, really yeah, that's, sinister. Uh, I mean, again, he's, he's not a hero. He's, he doesn't seem like a hero. With a woman now behind bars and a man of science dead, Bond returns to the port. He, Felix, and Quirrell all board a boat and make for Crab Key. Eventually, after ditching Felix for whatever reason, James gives the reason, it's my beat, which I don't know how he can justify saying yeah. that. But. I don't want another trained operative with me. Not only a trained operative, but a trained operative with an a platoon of Navy SEALs at his disposal. <laughs> no, I'll go in solo, thank you very much. Though he's very generous and says that uh, Cape Canaveral's going to launch a rocket in 48 hours, so if he's not done murdering everyone on the island in 12, yeah. then hey, you can send Felix in. So it's just James and Quarrel, and they make it to the island under the cover of darkness, and they then uh, camp for the night. Um, the cinematography in this scene is ghastly. <laughs> it's fucking awful it's so dark I know they were actually at sea when they filmed it but take a fucking light or something (laughs) you know illuminate some things that are happening because it's fucking bad you can't see anything James wakes the next morning to someone singing underneath the mango tree miha miha Um, (laughs) off in the distance which has become something of a motif of the film of this song being sung uh, it's being sung by a woman in a white bikini. Who could that be? Oh, don't know. It's Honey Rider, <laughs> as played by Ursula Andress. Bond sings it back to her to introduce himself in a sort of remarkably arrogant, quite creepy way. Mahane and me. Make ball option. Shake, shake, shake. She's literally startled by Bond and pulls out a knife. But it's almost. Correct response. (laughs) Exactly. She's almost suspiciously quickly placated by Bond's overfamiliarity and crude sexual innuendos. So, the dubbing. The dubbing, yeah, she's dubbed as well. She's dubbed by the same Nikki Vanderzil as. uh... I I read a good sort of description was because her accent was a heavy German accent, which makes the idea of her coming out of the sea singing that song in a heavy German accent. I'm going to pre-ding myself here for my heavy German accent. Underneath the mango tree! Honey, honey! So now we're getting into the, the meat of the film. I thought I'd ask you where, where Honey Rider rates on uh, your official Gerard Humphreys James Bond premium Bond fuorometer. <laughs> I didn't have one of those until you just gave me it. Well, now you've got one. You're welcome. Oh, she gets a four. Four, four out of ten. <laughs> <laughs> yes, four out of ten. That's your point. <laughs> uh, I'm going to ding us. Brilliant. <laughs> That's going to happen every time. I'm just going to pretend you now that that's happening every single time they're getting a four on it. <laughs> and she's always going to get a four, or I'd give her one. <laughs> so just a four, four one, you. Yeah. A four or a one. <laughs> I'm not impressed by the women of Bond. <laughs> Honey Rider. Honey Rider. Let's just, let's talk about the name. Let's discuss the name. It's not the worst name. It's not the worst name. No, I'm thinking Pussy think Galore might. Plenty of tools. A good one as well, just because. <laughs> He gets to say, named after your dad, or something like that. It's, it's so weird. <laughs> what's, oh, what's the one that's called um, Christmas or something? Oh, Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones, that's it. That's, that's... A, that's a bad name. Yeah. And it's set up for a bad pun at the end of the film, yeah, where he yeah. goes, I've always wanted to have Christmas in where, like, Turkey or something. Something like that. Yeah. I've always wanted to have Christmas in Turkey or something. So it's like, 
I'll fuck you in this country, yes. is what he's saying. <laughs> literal bond doesn't work so well. <laughs> <laughs> we should make a literal bond. Yes. I am going to kill a man and fuck a woman. <laughs> I've done that thing now, and also the other thing. <laughs> That's just going to be the title of the film, Kill Men, Fuck Women. <laughs> That's probably what the German title of some other bond is. So. <laughs> it's like Honey Rider as a name, I don't feel is... I think it ranks in the, it, like, the lower 50%. It's just kind of weird. It just makes me a bit like, what? <laughs> like, just Raiders and Cock Raider, I guess, but at least they didn't just straight out call her Cock Raider. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a bit on the nose. <laughs> Bond works out that Honey's not supposed to be on the island either and just believes her. Uh, she is, in fact, a professional shell collector. Aww, whatever that is, it's lovely. nice. It's a nice hobby. Uh, Quarrel interrupts their conversation by running over to inform them that there's an incoming boat. Uh, Doctor knows men are on board, and though they had, this is a very difficult thing to actually write down a description of. Okay. But though they haven't seen, uh, the men haven't seen Bond, Quarrel, and Honey. They pretend like they have to trick them into coming out anyway, yeah. which might suggest that they have seen them a bit. Quarrel's wearing a big red fucking shirt. So <laughs> there's not one thing on the island that is red. <laughs> I don't understand why he thought to, uh, to to dress like that, but yeah, strange. It's I'm guessing it's a radar contact, isn't it? Like the boats on oh, your okay, die yeah, or something. So, so they're yeah. just going to machine gun the island for a bit, just to yeah. So anyway, they, uh, these men bluff. Um, that they've seen them, and then they shout for intruders to show themselves, and then they open fire. Mm-hmm. This is very funny, the, <laughs> the fire being opened here. The, the, like, I know you can use sand to stop bullets, yeah. but can you use a loosely packed sand tube to stop repeated machine gun fire? Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> the bullets also ricochet off the sand as well. They make ricochet noise. <laughs> very funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Eventually the boat leaves. Bond, Ryder, and Quarrel regroup. After a quick chat about dragons, which is amazing, oh, Bond tells Honey to leave. She can't because her boat's been all shot to shit, which is apparently also James's fault. She tells them that she knows a place to hide and they follow her. Uh, as you were saying, the conversation about the dragons is uh, remarkable. <laughs> There's some really fucking... I mean, just for the conversation, it's it's bad. <laughs> yeah, pretty much one rational European white man explaining yeah. to... <laughs> A very European woman who was apparently slightly blacked up. Slightly blacked up? Yeah. Like a wee very heavy tan, I read. (laughs) And therefore she is not a German looking. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, please. So it's just him explaining to women and minorities. Women and minority, yes, the dragon. Despite him him being a minority, clearly, in this situation. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um. That dragons don't exist. Dragons don't exist. What, what does he say? <clears throat> he says something like, um, there's no such thing as dragons, and um, Honey Rider goes, there is a dragon, you don't believe me, do you? And this is my favourite line in the film, I think. There's a, Quarrel goes, little girl, I does! Oh, yes. Oh. yes. <laughs> That's bad. That's like <laughs> Mammy Two-Shoes in, uh, in Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then there's this fantastic reverse. There's no such thing as dragons. What you saw just looked like a dragon. <laughs> the, the, the contempt in his voice is incredible. <laughs> there's this weird, weird line about um, uh, 
Did you ever see a mongoose dance? Oh, yeah. A scorpion with sunstrokes sting itself to death? A praying mantis eat its mate after making love? And then... Oh, dragons are trash donkey. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, no, I haven't. And she goes, I have. And Coral goes, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that bit is so weird when she goes off and I really like... It's so, not quite a soliloquy, but like... Yeah, she just sort of... It's a monologue, certainly. Yeah, it's... A dramatic monologue about mongies. Is <laughs> so strange. Uh, I noticed a little continuity problem with the with the film, which uh, admittedly I can understand fully why, but uh, James Bond's trousers went from varying degrees of wetness <laughs> throughout the entire scene. And the reason I noticed this, and I swear this is <laughs> this is not some weird obsession with Connery's penis, mm. but, but in one scene, the outline of his, of his dick was... So would you describe it as tremendous? <laughs> <laughs> I might. <laughs> it was clear though, it was really it, it was like a xenomorph or something. <laughs> like... You definitely had the Blu-ray version, that's for sure. <laughs> so I paused it quite a lot. <laughs> um but it was really clear and then I, I was like, Jesus Christ <laughs> put there to monster <laughs> Yeah, then it wasn't there later on. So I, I, I concede it must be got really... It, <laughs> Don't worry, you wait till we get to you and live twice. <laughs> the crew wade through a river, complaining about mosquitoes before they realise they're being followed by the Crab Key militia. They devise a plan to cut and then breathe through some nearby reeds while they themselves stay submerged underwater, thereby throwing the dogs off their scent and avoiding detection from the guards. It's all very clever. Eventually, the guards pass and they resurface. One guard, however, did not pass. Seemingly knowing that something was amiss, he stayed behind but still failed to spot them anyway and was ultimately just choked to death by James in a really floppy sort of chokehold. <laughs> so, this was another one of those scenes that, like the tarantula, could have been so tense. It was really good. The music was, was flawless for it and, and the scene was, was tense and it was well shot, but... They were breathing through reeds. It was too ridiculous. <laughs> Just the, the physical shot of them, like yeah. <laughs> breathing through reeds underwater. It's cartoonish. It's ridiculous. Batman, sixties Batman. Yeah, exactly. It's absurd. Get me my bat reed. <laughs> James also, when he kills the last guard, Honey pulls his face where she's like, "What I've written down here is, it's like she's in the Great British Bake Off and her souffle hasn't risen. Not like she's just seen a man killed in cold blood." <laughs> To be fair, what is worse? That's true, mate. Because, I mean, life is meaningless and cake is life. So, it's all meaningless is what I'm saying. Who gives a fuck? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> There's quarrel as well. Quarrel's getting progressively worse as this goes on. Yeah. It's pretty bad in this scene. Um, <clears throat> when the guy stays behind to check for them further, the line is, That guy sure done knew his business. What does that mean? <laughs> he sure certainly knew someone was... Hanging around here. Oh, clearly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he died. <laughs> I don't think he knew his business that well. Uh, so they move on and they pass a big danger no entry sign, which is incredibly poorly written. I'm not sure for who's benefited. I'm not sure who wrote it. But well, it's there. You know, maybe some guy with no hands wrote it. <gasps> I'd like that idea. Meeting <laughs> his own signs. No, danger. I can do it. I can do it. Oh, crushed another one. <laughs> Finally, in Honey's safe spot, James and Ursula are under his bottom bays at a convenience stream. Quarrel tells them to come over and look at some tracks on the ground. Honey and Quarrel both decide they're dragon tracks. They decide to stay concealed to where they are for now, for some reason. 
with Quarrel taking the first shift on guard duty to make sure the track the dragon doesn't come back to get them. Good plan. Mm. I mean, what they see are clearly tyre tracks. Probably a dragon, though, isn't it? No, it's probably a tractor. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> these, these are two people of the world. Quarrel lives in Kingston. Mm-hmm. There's not that many cars in Kingston. As well. I mean, he didn't drive one at the start of the movie, did he? No, he couldn't have done that. I don't think he drove. No, wait, no. He <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and later on, we find out the honey has lived all over the world. She's seen cars. She knows what tire tracks are. <laughs> but have you seen a mongoose bait its own head off? No. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen a cat wank? <laughs> Can't see it or her. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's also a, a line where uh, I think it's Quarrel says, um, That's where it breathed, and he points out of shot, and it doesn't show any ground <laughs> or anything. It's just, That's where it breathed. And James Bond goes, Hmm, maybe there is a dragon. <laughs> that doesn't show you anything to look at. It's rubbish. Anyway, while Quarrel guards, James and Honey have a little sit down and a little chat, and it's all very nice. Honey tells James that she believes Dr. No killed her father, which sort of comes from nowhere and goes nowhere but yeah because she doesn't seem to be aware of Doctor No is she like she just no. comes down to get 50 dollar stones off of it. <laughs> 50 dollar dollar stones <laughs> yeah no, um, her father was a marine biologist who travelled around this is a quote anywhere there were shells I've actually written down that is a waste of a life <laughs> <laughs> she also tells James that she never actually went to school shockingly and instead just read through most of an encyclopedia <laughs> Up to tea, I believe. Up to tea, yeah. <laughs> um, that explains her dragon track thing then, I guess. But hang on, no. Because car <laughs> starts with C. And dragon starts with D. <laughs> where it will state it's a mythical creature. <laughs> <laughs> she goes on to tell James that after her father died, she stayed with a man in Kingston who let her live with him for free. He eventually ended up raping her and she retaliated by putting a black widow spider in his bed. Will people stop <laughs> putting spiders in beds <laughs> to try and assassinate people? It doesn't work. At this point, Bond wasn't the most emotional no, I've ever seen a man. Uh, there's a lot to say about that. <laughs> was he just? She says uh, he was. He was stronger than me, and you know. And it's like I, I'm telling him I was raped as a you know a younger lady. And Bond goes, and then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> Not. Not even in Bond speak, like, oh shit, that's terrible. Like, you know, like, not even making a quip about it. It just, yeah, just, just doesn't care. Have you noted that down as psychopath um, behaviour as well? Because I thought it was. Yes, I did. <laughs> Fantastic, yes. So she tells him that she killed someone with a spider, and she goes, Did I do the wrong thing? And he says, Don't make a habit out of it. And that's it. She then also follows up by saying, I was raped and I killed a man. And then she basically goes, Are you single? <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, no dad being abused. <laughs> this is what Connery makes his, like, <laughs> his money on. <laughs> so shit. It's Connery, Hello. I mean, he was so disgusted at how easy it was, he didn't really even try yeah, that much. Yeah, yeah. He was just like, Well, there's no hunt in this. <laughs> <What's> the... <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and do a little. For for everything we've just said. Why also would she come back to the island to pick up shells that she heavily believes her father was murdered on? She's not an agent or anything. She's not there for revenge. She actually wants to leave. 
Mm. I don't understand why she came back. Yeah, because I just... Maybe it's just a, a tax on revenge story, because at the moment Doctor No doesn't seem that evil. Yeah, he's just some guy, isn't he's he? He's just some guy, just happy on his little crab key. Just doesn't want people coming and ruining his day, but here they are. <laughs> <laughs> I even put up signs. <laughs> signs. Danger. <laughs> Danger. No own tree. <laughs> <laughs> Radioactive. <laughs> Anyway, this, this scintillating and realistic conversation is interrupted again by Quarrel, who tells them that something, probably a dragon, is a common this way. <laughs> they decide to go and look at it. And I don't know what happens here, but we're, we're in a tropical island during the day, and then it cuts, and we're just at night again, and they're walking out of a bog. <laughs> <laughs> Can't understand where it's gone between. Anyway, now... They finally see the dragon. <laughs> I'd like to hear what your description of the dragon is. Scary. It's Realistic. <laughs> now, my favourite thing is he says something like dragon runs on diesel or something like that. It's just shit. You know one of those like Indian trucks that they do up? Can you just look? I mean, it's still blatantly a truck. <laughs> With yeah, yeah. With a flamethrower stuck to... I mean, it's a particularly vicious truck, but... Yeah, yeah it's a nasty truck. Certainly, yeah. as far as trucks go, it's a bastard. <laughs> this, <laughs> is, this is what I wrote down for it. I have just laughed for a solid minute. The dragon looks like a bad Robot Wars entry that would be eliminated <laughs> in the gauntlet. Yeah. <laughs> the kid would cry when he was eliminated. <laughs> so Kalawot would have made him <laughs> mincemeat of it. <laughs> it's so bad, it's to be a bit more descriptive, it's sort of like a trapezoid yeah. on top of some tracks. It's kind of... Yeah, it is tracks. It's a half track, isn't it? It looks like an old sort of German... Yeah. Like a half track thing from World War Two, mm. Some shit, so... Yeah, it's, it's very... Why? Very, it's clumsy and it's ridiculous. Again, you don't want people going to your island. So, the most... Like, look at the Loch Ness Monster. <laughs> people do not go, there is a monster in Loch Ness. I am not going to go there. <laughs> it draws people like fucking like flies to it. Because no one gives a shit about longness. No. So you're using a mythical creature, <laughs> spreading a rumour about it, and then, there we go. That's Job that's done. <laughs> no one will ever come here. I mean, that couple with the signs, I think I'm safe. <laughs> <laughs> you're just making your island interesting. <laughs> They see the dragon anyway, uh, and are spotted by the dragon as well, or the drivers of the dragon. An electronic voice booms from the hideous fuckpile that is the dragon, telling the gang to stay where they are. James and Quarrel willfully disobey and take cover behind a bush. I love this scene. Oh my god. (laughs) Well, I don't love the scene, but I love the way they react to it. Like... (laughs) It's just it's suicidal. Yeah. <laughs> they run to the most flammable thing. Let me get behind this big pile of like <laughs> dried wood. Kindling Let me just put on my shoot of newspaper armor. Douche myself in fire. Quirrell runs up further than James. James tells him to go and shoot out the driver while James stays back in a safe safer place to, <laughs> yes. to shoot the headlights which are a smaller target than the driver and the wheels the tyres which I, I, he hits I, one of those things <laughs> he does he hits, he hits one of two headlights 
Quite if we just ran perpendicular to it, that would be it. <laughs> <laughs> Job done. The thing's not See, probably got a great turning circle, I'm guessing. If you saw it turn, it's all over the place. It, like, when it turns, the entire thing judders and looks like it's about to fall over. <laughs> like, if they were made to do quickly, it would just be done. So, anyway, Quarrel runs up to the, the nearest bush and surprisingly does not shoot out the driver. Yep. Instead, <laughs> a, a stream of burning hot fucking napalm comes there, shooting from the dragon's mouth and just drops Quarrel like a fucking stone. And it's horrible. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really visceral. Like, for, for a film where it's like, you've had your shook friend, there's no blood coming out of that man. Just to watch this this corpse just drop <laughs> while on fly on fire and napalmed is way more visceral than normal for a James Bond film. Yeah, but I've got Cycle Bond sent Quarrel to his death. So. He certainly did. <laughs> Go and do the dangerous. I mean, things. considering that Quarrel's basically an idiot, if his character is like up front, like yeah, he just I mean, does violent yeah, things for Bond, and yeah, he's a, a, a muscle. Yeah, muscle guy. Bond just sent him up mano a mano <laughs> mano a drago mano a drago indeed with Quarrel dead James and Honey surrender really awkwardly it's such a weird little bit of movement yeah. body movement they're doing yeah. it's, it's really stilted and bizarre and just like they get up and they fall down and they get up and then they get knocked down and it, it's, it goes on way too long it's, it's strange they're, they're captured by hazmat suit wearing dragon riding guards and taken prisoner just like in every Bond film yeah standard stuff skip standard, over this uh, I've literally read standard Bond films. they're taken prisoner uh, and they're taken to a secret laboratory I've written down Bond off the scale for this bit <laughs> Bond scale is reading down <laughs> it's just a picture of a Woman and a gun. <laughs> That's all it is. Bond and Honey are taken to a nearby laboratory, all the occupants of which are wearing anti radiation suits. They scan a pair with Geiger counters and discover that after crawling around for hours in highly radioactive swamplands, they are now highly radioactive. <laughs> They scrub them down with some magic anti-radiation soap and then run them through a high-pressured shower on a conveyor belt that also that, shoots magic at them. That conveyor belt seems amazing. That conveyor belt seems good on too long. It's shit. It's so rubbish. So bad. The whole set looks just crap. They get rid of all their radiation and with the bizarre process complete, they're given lovely little fluffy blue bathrobes and allowed access deeper into the complex. But as you say, the, the scene... <laughs> It's so strange that entire scene with them on the conveyor belt. It, it, it's it's a full minute or two, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, dull. It, it's just people whose faces you can't see reading numbers, and that's it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not even just just shouting out numbers. Thirty-four, twenty. He's no radiation. He's reading eight. Uh, it goes on way too long, scene, and it, it kind of only really serves to show that. First of all, the island is radioactive, which we knew anyway. Yeah. And second, it just serves to show Ursula Andress's boob and little pubic mound. That's it. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> you get a little shot of just sort of sort of naked Ursula Andress. I, I hear tell it was a skin-coloured bikini she was wearing. Yeah. But, um, yeah, fairly... Fairly gratuitous for the sixties. Well, I mean, they could have just said send him to the decontamination chamber, yeah. and then next time you see them, it's like, hey, yeah. five or six minutes <laughs> long, or the whole thing when they go through, it. they get all of the stuff out from under their fingernails and everything. It, it was very laborious. <laughs> watching. 
After passing through a giant vault door, Bond and Honey find themselves in a strange hotel-like setting. They're greeted by Sister Rose, who quite confusingly is a very attentive host. She offers them cigarettes, shows them to a reasonably lush little room, if slightly ugly, um, in which Dr. No has arranged for them to stay, complete with breakfast and a strange-looking shower, which is... that's not foreshadowing the shower, it just looks strange. Okay. She tells them that the Doctor would like to have them for dinner in the evening and then leaves. Bond decides to eat the complimentary breakfast... Because he's hungry. Uh, while Bond pauses, no out. Italian. <laughs> Why not? I want something musical. <laughs> Let's go out. <laughs> I'm phoning a taxi, you best. <laughs> <laughs> while Bond pours himself a cup of coffee, he tells Honey the entire place is likely wired for sound, but no, like really quietly, so they definitely won't hear. <laughs> They both drink a full cup of piping hot black coffee right away, which is <laughs> as manly. Um, even a moron could tell that it was drugged. <laughs> they fall asleep instantly. This actually, I wrote this down as my favourite line from the film. Not just, little girl, you rat, or whatever. But Bond going, dumb coffee! <laughs> throwing the mug away. <laughs> Very funny. He was drinking that to perk him up, but instead, why would you drink coffee? This is, yeah, this is a- in a prison cell <laughs> because he's hungry. I'm going to do some laps because I'm fucking wired to the moon. <laughs> this whole bit, I just thought was fucking pointless. Like they could have gone straight to dinner. <laughs> yeah, easily, but yeah, it goes on a little bit too long. And it's like, like, I don't know why they knocked him out. That's what, that's what I've got written down next. There's no point. <laughs> when they're knocked out, they're in their beds. Well, I don't know how they got to their beds. They must have moved them to their beds. Yeah, yeah. And then someone with metal hands, it's Dr. No, comes in and sort of pulls back the duvet over James Bond and has a look and goes, oh, very nice. <laughs> and um, <laughs> that's it. That's all he does. That's the only reason he knocks Bond out. Is to just have a peek. Yeah. And also, how how long must Bond have slept for? Because it's if that's breakfast and they're going to dinner with him, as I say, it's an early dinner of like five or something. Um, then a late breakfast of what eleven? Considering the time frame of the film, Felix is coming in after twelve hours. That's at least say generously six hours he's been asleep there before he goes off to dinner and then he's also been over there overnight and slept, which must be (laughs) at least another four or five hours. We're coming close to 12 hours here, at the very least. If if everything that happened after he woke up until he was put in this room took one hour, which it didn't because it was also dark when they came out of the swamp. That's two days they've been out there. The rocket should have launched by now. Also, it's really such a dangerous way to knock someone out because, I mean, Bond's considerably... Bigger yeah. than her. Yeah. You don't know what coffee's going to go to who. <laughs> so, I mean, that's enough tranquilizer easily to kill a small woman out of thought. Yes, like, yes, they might yes. not bond out in that. So, to render the whole scene with the coffee pointless, they wake up later that day and make only really passing mention of being drugged. <laughs> oh, well, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's, it's like dismissed as a mild inconvenience. And they are pointed towards the the wardrobe by Sister Rose. Uh-huh. And she goes, get ready for dinner. And they go, all right, we will. <laughs> <laughs> and jo- James Bond puts on this bizarre little brown suit that looks sort of half Asian sort of yeah, there's a kind formal of just... wear, but not quite. Just... It's still kind of his suit. 
<laughs> he got it from the same Savile Roman, you know. <laughs> they're, they're taken away from the the quarters and put into an elevator to be sent up to Doctor No's secret, super private quarters. Yep. And um, there's this one bit of dialogue that is it ranks amongst the shittest, where uh, Honey Rider says something like, uh, "I'm scared," and James goes. I'm scared too. She'll be natural and leave all the talking to me. <laughs> Why? <laughs> You're both scared. Yeah, it doesn't really follow no, one. Doesn't, doesn't follow. Doesn't. I'm useless. Sure am I. No shot on. It's one literal bond, don't it? <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> I'm quite desperate for a literal bond. <laughs> Very good. Now in Dr. No's private quarters, which looked like an interior designer, loaded all his worst ideas into a cannon and fired them into a cave, they have a quick look around. Notably, they spy their first window to the outside world since arrival. The outside world, it transpires, is apparently more than 300 feet below sea level. We know this because there are fish and algae. Exactly. The fish actually are very interesting. I don't know if you picked up this this bit of trivia. This is a really this is shit. This is probably the shittest <laughs> thing about the film. These fish. You see, the fish were massive, uh-huh. and Doctor No comes in and he goes, um, "The glass is convex, so the fish appear bigger than they are." And I mean, first of all, it's hilarious that he writes that off as an engineering marvel. Um, <laughs> bulging glass that's not a marvel that's basic shit but the reason that they had to do that is because um, the, the they were going to green screen the fish in obviously and they didn't bother with that because they thought ah stock footage of fish easy peasy didn't bother with it until the very last fucking moment they were going to put the film out and realised that they didn't have any stock footage of fish and the only footage they could find was close up shots of goldfish so that's what they had to put in was this really close up shot of fish they look they look too big so you have to say it's a magnifying glass that's fucking that's a hack this one shit soon they're joined by the metal handed Dr. No himself who boasts that his underwater mansion cost one million dollars which I suppose must be where the, the Austin Powers joke comes from where uh, yeah, Dr. Evil yeah, yeah. says, um, uh, how much money do you want? And he goes, one million dollars. And they all laugh at him. There's no <laughs> money at all. Yeah, uh, he attempts to tell them what an engineering marvel it is, but his fish tank has glass in it that, that's bendy. Uh, despite James's constant sass-mouthing throughout, I think he says something like, Minos pretending they're whales, a bit like you on this island. <laughs> yes. Yeah, bitch. He's a bastard. He's so nasty to <laughs> So, there's a bit where... It's like... It just alludes to the East don't like, appreciate the value of human life, essentially, is what he says. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> They're all animals. <laughs> He's basically like secret agent Morrissey, then, isn't he? Oh. oh some satire from two or three years ago. <laughs> but anyway, once James has gotten it all out of his system, they sit down to have a lovely dinner. Um. Now, we have to talk about Dr. No here. Yes. We have to talk about Joseph Wiseman is the man that plays him, who is Jewish and who is Canadian mm-hmm. and who has no Chinese in him whatsoever. I did read up on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just to, to... It's remarkable how accepting people are of... of I mean, I'm going to have to do it again. Yellow face. And I'm going to give one for Dr. No. Because <laughs> yellow face essentially means they've made him look a bit pallid. 
and they've sort of sellotaped his eyes so they're a bit squinty. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's uncomfortable to look at. Because <laughs> he's meant to be half Chinese, wasn't he? Half Chinese, half German, I believe. Yeah. All Canadian. <laughs> All Canadian. <laughs> Canadian Jewish, clearly. <laughs> clearly. I mean, not to racially profile, but you'd look at him and you'd say, hmm, he's got a bit of a Jewish look about him, hasn't he? You wouldn't look at him and go, hmm. He's probably from the Orient. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's not fantastic. He's a very good actor, though. He's very, very sinister. And I believe, this is a Bond fact, I believe he's one of the few Bond villains from the very first set of films where they didn't have another person dub his voiceover. Oh, okay. So that's Joseph Wiseman's voice you're actually hearing because he's so spooky and so sinister that they thought they'd just keep him in. Yeah. Seems like... Get the right actors. <laughs> really, I don't know what the casting people are up to. Yes. <laughs> well, the reason I meant to say earlier, the reason they wanted to cast um, Ursula Andress, they had another actress lined up, mm-hmm. but the casting guy said, "Nah, tits are too small. Oh, Get me someone busty." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <not> that fact. <laughs> yeah. Ursula Andress, whose voice was so fucking German <laughs> that they couldn't. But the tits were right though. Oh, so. spot on. <laughs> <laughs> well. It's just a matter of a shit over nothing, isn't it? <laughs> casting in the 60s was very funny. <laughs> Let's speak a little about casting here. Would you like to know some other people who were considered or actually asked uh, to play the role of Dr. No? Uh, go for it. I've got two for you here. Christopher Lee was the one they wanted. Oh, yeah. Because he's, he's Fleming's cousin. Yes. Isn't he? So can you imagine Christopher Lee walking around with like really racist <laughs> Asian eyes? <laughs> I can actually. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> uh, it didn't happen, but he did play Scaramanga mm. later in Man with the Golden Gun. And the other one they wanted was uh, Noel Coward, mm. who uh, responded in typically wanky fashion. <laughs> with uh, This is simply what he replied to the people who are making the film. Doctor No. 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 Wonderful. <laughs> Fuck you, Noel. <laughs> you ain't better than Doctor No. So I take it he was Chinese in the book, yeah? Yes. Okay, so that's why... Well, I, I'm, I'm assuming. I haven't actually read. But... Yeah, so he's not in trend... Because there's nothing, like, needed him to be Chinese in that film. Yeah, the happy Buddha. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> she crushed with his hands. Although, his hands are actually different, though, because in the book, he had uh, sort of pincers. Lobster claw sort of things. Yeah, yeah, that probably... But yeah. his hands were normal human hands human that hands. were just metal. And for some reason, incredibly strong. Yeah, I just thought they were stuck in that position. For yeah, you would have thought, like, given the technology at the time, we're only just now getting <laughs> hands that you can control, like, prosthetic hands a... that you can control with your mind. But he's a genius, I guess, but Bond was completely... didn't give a fuck. Bond was, Bond was real nasty. <laughs> he Bond was seeing was... a miracle in those hands. <laughs> <laughs> and he just didn't <laughs> no, give he just, No, he, he was not too concerned, really, was he? <laughs> Um, so just trying to think up some nasty racist insult for him. Yeah, Bond, Bond really throws out some nasty <laughs> shit in this thing. So they sit down at the table and proceed to not eat anything, and they make for, for, for the start they make surprisingly cordial chit chat for a while. They talk about nose heritage, Chinese, German, what his plan is to topple uh, yeah, missile. Yeah, I like that. And uh, which organization he works for, which seems like a strange thing to give that away. I had that as classic Bond. Yeah, <laughs> like, so guy. classic though. <laughs> He works for Spectre, which uh, is going to come up a few times. Spectre stands for the, the uninitiated. Uh, 
It stands for Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge, and Extortion. Hmm. My favourite line from the movie came up in this bit. Okay. With world domination, same old dream. <laughs> I guess it was quite close to the Second World War when that was a genuine yeah. thing, but. It's 20 years or so. It's still very funny. <laughs> oh, not this again. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> You're always bleating on about world domination. How often does this happen? <laughs> so, No then decides it's time to talk business, and that's clearly not an environment a woman should be in. Yes. So he has Honey sent away. Um, and because James has been such a prick, <laughs> and Dr. No has been quite cordial, I would say, uh, yeah. they, they have to shoehorn in some rubbish about like oh he's actually going to be real nasty to honey <laughs> and he says something along the lines of I'm sure my guards will take special care of her and I think that's implied that she's going to be raped again yeah. or at least tortured but I, my inclination was rape because it was brought up earlier and James Bond who discovers that this woman who he at least has a fancy for is about to be raped again mm-hmm. this woman who has been previously raped is about to get raped again under his watch and he can stop it he puts up a struggle for about a second before he's talked <laughs> out of it because Doctor he, he picks up a big bottle of wine to smash the guard over the head with and Dr. No goes that's quite a nice bottle of wine actually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and James goes well it would be a shame to wish <laughs> does it not see he actually prefers another year of that wine <laughs> he does even there he's sassy yeah. I prefer the 55 <laughs> I think the worst thing that James says is something like does the toppling of American missiles really compensate for having no hands? <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> That's ah. ice cold. Fucking hell, James. At this point, we're now in yeah, full swing yeah, of, of, of just... Dr. No as a villain. What do you think of him as a villain? Where would you rate him on the fourometer? <laughs> a five. Five. <laughs> <laughs> He's a bit middling, isn't he? He doesn't really do much for the whole film. No, until... he's, I, but I think his demeanour really he, really works he, yeah, for him. His actual plan is cool. crap. His actual plan is crap. I don't know what he gets to... No. What he gains from no. doing Why this. And also that? it's a crap plan because... Finding where a very powerful radio signal is coming from <laughs> is literally something a second year engineer student <laughs> could do. <laughs> you simply set up... A, but, mate, it is the 60s, though. So it would have been... Because the Nazis found, like, agents by using triangulation, like, down to a city block. <laughs> <laughs> Assuming the way it works is it overpowers whatever control signals are going to the rocket. Yeah. And it just is a stronger signal, because that can be done now with drones. You get fake GPS signals. Mm-hmm. Very good. But... <laughs> Engineering <laughs> facts. Facts. Uh, but assuming that's, like... If he has to use an incredibly strong signal. That's why he needs a fucking nuclear reactor. Which, I mean, it'd just be like shining a huge light. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just it's light in a different part of the spectrum. Is what it is. We simply can't see it with our eyes, but if we could, we'd be blind. <laughs> when he turned that fucker on. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so bad plan then. Terrible as far plan. As these plans go, and I bad. think you would just get bombed. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, Doctor No is then taken away 
uh, by one of his lackeys to the control room to do some controly things, and James is then left to be punched and kicked very floppily by some guards <laughs> until the scene fades out. My bone of contention here is that Dr. Noah has invited him to dinner. Mm-hmm. They've sat down for five minutes, yep. six minutes, something like that. They didn't even lay out any food. <laughs> they put out one bottle of wine, which Bond was not allowed to open. And then he's like, opened, do you mean over the head of yes, a security? I mean, over the head of a security. I mean, he could have sucked. <laughs> he's a raging alcoholic. He would have sucked it out of the carpet, I'm sure. But, but yeah, he's so. There's, no, there's not even an option for food. This guard comes, and it's not like, you know, oh shit, there's an emergency. Will you come to the the control room with us it's uh, uh, you, you said to come get you it's time to go to the control room and Dr. No's like yeah what and that's it. <laughs> he knew it was coming he knew there was no time to eat why not just do that before dinner <laughs> so are you saying that it was simply a chance for him to explain what he was doing no he no literally be just exposition yeah. <laughs> no yeah so no 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 food yeah. no food for Bond so he awakes in a prison cell um after being beaten up, which suggests he probably shouldn't have made fun of the hands. He wastes no time in attempting to escape through a nearby ventilation grate. The grate, however, is electrified, and James is shocked to the floor. He covers his hands with his shoes and punches it out of the frame. He's now able to access these vents freely. This this whole vent scene, this is incredible. It's such a waste of time. (laughs) James draws through the vents until, uh, in a cliche which could probably be forgiven of a film from the 60s, the faint rumble of water rushing towards him. He braces himself and lets it pass over him and eventually finds another grate. He kicks it out of the frame too and jumps out into the decontamination chamber from earlier. So, would that water not just pish into his room? (laughs) It was in before... Yeah, but Did they came... have a ventilation system that just regularly <laughs> soaks rooms? But, mate, though, because <laughs> he, he was out of his room when the water came through. <laughs> All right, okay, cool. so... I mean, there was lots of holes. <laughs> it's not a pipe's in. No, it's not. A <laughs> uh, I believe it was actually an obstacle course that <laughs> set him in the book. But he was supposed to prove his worth. But in this, it's just get locked in a room. Oh no, you have escaped. <laughs> I, I like the cinematography in the vents, though, even if they didn't wobble as he walked through them. Uh, it, was, it seemed sort of really like 60s, sort of psychedelic cinema. It reminded me of Zardos, in fact. Right, okay. Just... There is a part where Sean Connery drops down from the vent. Yep. He, he's going on one layer of vents and he drops down a vertical shaft. And while he's doing that, I mean, you don't even need to pause it. It goes on for about 10 seconds and it is blatantly not Sean Connery. It is his stuntman. It's so obviously his stuntman. They don't even attempt to disguise it. He's barely wearing the same clothes. It's absurd. I just didn't notice it, to be honest. I, I, at this point, was a bit bored of the film. So. <laughs> but it was just like... It just... The end base scene... <laughs> Almost felt tacked on. <laughs> so now back in the empty decontamination chamber, James hides briefly until a lone engineer in a hazmat suit enters, looking to shower off all the radiation in his magic anti-radiation machine. James kills him, as is speciality, <laughs> by very weak strangulation and steals his suit. Good. Now dressed in a snazzy new hazmat suit, Bond makes his way to Dr. No's control room. No is preparing to topple the American missile at any moment. So, is this not well past the 12-hour deadline? must be. Like, must why would you be. wait until essentially your missile's going to get fucked before you send it in the Marines? <laughs> or whatever it is. Why would they even launch the missile if they knew? And they must know. <laughs> <laughs> 
even Britain knows, and they're not involved in the launching of the missile, they knew that it was going to get toppled. And they sent someone in. The Americans know their missile is under danger of being toppled, and they're still launching it. That's not the biggest fucking plot hole in this bit. (laughs) James Bond's hazmat suit has a big, clear port around his face. (laughs) That's not a disguise. Any man could look at you and see who you are. Does he not do some super silky spy moves and turn around every time someone goes near him? <laughs> he does indeed. He actually he looks at the ground, I think, is what he most ah, okay. He has a little point peer down at the ground and goes... Well, at least he's not acting suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> this entire bit where he walks into this room and just science is happening. <laughs> Remarkable. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. <laughs> There's just a man putting his hands through one of those... Uh, Thick gloves. thick gloves to stop radiation, and he's like putting a cooling rod, presumably, in a little like washing up basin of pink <laughs> liquid. And there's a machine which I, I didn't know the name of it, so I've just written it, written its name as the reactor on machine because that's what it said near it. <laughs> and it just it has a thing on it. It's, it's just a valve, and that's all that's on it. Everything else seems to be meters to monitor what's happening with that valve and it's got a thing on it that just says danger level <laughs> and it's stuck in one position <laughs> yeah there's the set it's like quite a good time imagining what a nuclear reactor is like I think it came to me in a fever dream so I just thought I'd go with it yeah probably just Big valve. <laughs> the costumes as well. The, co- the guy operating the, the reactor on machine was just dressed in a bin bag. <laughs> Dr. No continues his checks, miraculously mistaking Bond for a lackey called Chang in the process and ordering him into the gantry to conduct various science tests. Bond makes his way up to the reactor on machine. He stands around like a spare prick for an uncomfortably <laughs> long time before Noah is given the confirmation that the American rocket will be launching in exactly four minutes and 30 seconds. No orders that the radio mast be readied for toppling. In the last ten minutes of the film, it has just been a man pretending to be Chinese and pretending to speak made-up science jargon about missiles and lasers. Yeah. It, I was very bored. It was, it was just bollocks. <laughs> the only funny thing is that they're only... I think it's even unmanned missiles that... They're only at that crash into the sea. <laughs> James Bond's willing to put like a nuclear reactor into meltdown really close to Kingston <laughs> and like, kill a lot of people. Well, actually... <laughs> because I, hero. <laughs> I had a look at how damaging a nuclear meltdown would be uh, this close to Kingston, and they've sort of triangulated where the approximate position of Crab Key would have been, and uh, it would have showered Cuba, Haiti, and... Jamaica with radioactive fallout and basically made Jamaica uninhabitable for a hundred years. Some real bad shit. Because I still don't even know why he's doing it. Like, no. What does he get when he topples a missile? Or like, It's like someone flicking you in the arm. <laughs> like, it's like... Well, it's very expensive for damn Americans. Oh, who okay. He is not one of. But it's not even that expensive for him. I mean, they've got a whole bunch of missiles that are sole purpose is just to blow up so and yeah. you must test them quite regularly so 
I, I don't know what he gains from I, I could have just fallen asleep at some point. <laughs> James, in a wildly unsafe display of scientific ignorance, begins surreptitiously cranking the reactor on machine single valve all the way up, thereby increasing the danger level to quite. Oh, no! <laughs> Eventually, the real reactor on technician spots what's going on, but it's too late. The danger level is now very and can't be lowered. Bond and the technician fight, and Bond knocks him over a railing, knocking him out cold. The rest of the room panic and evacuate, which I can't blame them for, because there's a big sign on the door saying, Abandoned room that watches <laughs> on and off. <laughs> and there's a meltdown. Yeah, I, I would stay and try to fix it really <laughs> just turn the crank the back yeah, of the other put, way put the, the thing that turns danger from very to <laughs> if, if you have <laughs> nee, danger. one valve on your nuclear <laughs> reactor which if you turn it a bit for a minute <laughs> it, it irreversibly destroys your reactor it doesn't seem particularly safe yeah there's not many safeguards on it is there? I mean gravity could turn that wheel around <laughs> Uh, Doctor No does not escape, though. He charges after James to fight him mano e mano. Ooh, big man. <laughs> I say charges after. He sort of like he he runs with his arms pressed into his side, so it's sort of like someone with no self esteem running in gym <laughs> class. Bond and No fight near a big pool of radioactive coolant. No, despite being a resoundingly frail man, initially looks like he has the upper hand and knocks James onto a small platform, slowly lowering into the coolant. James, however, manages to get a hand on No's suit and drags him down with him. They scuffle for a while before James wrestles himself free and literally stamps on No's head before leaping to freedom. No <laughs> attempts to follow, but for some reason his incredibly strong metal hands can't find any purchase on the platform support struts and he's lowered into the reactor core, presumably dying really quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as it, you can't get any grip because they're all shiny, isn't it? Something like that. Like oh no, my shiny hands. Surely just even using like, a knife and fork. That's a yeah. real, like, metal on metal is, yeah. you know, not, you're not no, going to get saw, a lot of purchase. Him, we saw them crush uh, yeah. <laughs> a, a, a golden Buddha statue or something earlier, which, admittedly, gold and gold's probably a softer metal then. <laughs> you still probably get some virtues. <laughs> Bond here didn't actually do any puns. So no, you, what? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite a good good opportunity for it. So I've taken the liberty of doing some. Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> just taken the liberty of doing some Bond esque puns of uh, Doctor No being lowered into the reactor mm-hmm. core. He could have said, "Core, what a way to go!" <laughs> yeah, that's right. Core blame me. <laughs> yeah, core blame me. Yeah. Uh, ch- ch- to no believe how gruesomely I killed that man. <laughs> Chernobyl. Chernobyl happened? No, that was 20 years later. I've written down afterwards, that's probably not possible. (laughs) And also, everyone would probably believe how gruesomely he healed that man. (laughs) I did it all for the new key. Love it. (laughs) (laughs) The last one I've just got written down, you can embrace his Scottish side and say, Giza Gamma. (laughs) So you want him to ask. The recently turned to vapor man. Yes, yes. <laughs> to suck his dick. <laughs> you tell me with a straight face that any one of those that I've suggested is worse than I think they're on their way to a funeral. No, no, not really. At least they concern the thing that's just happened. He dead now, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I killed a man in nuclear stuff. <laughs> 
Oh. <laughs> with the doctor dead, James must now escape. With there being literally no one left in the room to stop him, he does this. <laughs> Back to the hotel part of the prison, James desperately searches for honey, like Pooh Bear. He trips a fleeing man and demands to know where she's being kept. The man has no idea, so James knocks him out cold and tries this tactic again. This time, somehow, it works. Yeah. Knocking someone out cold while they're fleeing from a, a nuclear reactor in meltdown is just murder. <laughs> That's all that is. Yeah, he wasn't going to bother them. Like, you wouldn't start a fight when you're doing that, would you? You just you want to get away. You would like to get away from the nuclear reactor in meltdown. Uh, James finds Honey, who's chained to a weird indoor boat jetty thing. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit of an odd one. <laughs> this, again, this is something from the book they tried to keep but failed. <laughs> uh, she's tied to this like boat jetty that the water is rising, so they mm. made the water the, the danger. But in the book, I'm not sure which is more ridiculous, but she was being attacked by crabs. <laughs> and this, you'll love this. They ordered some crabs. <laughs> 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 Does the phrase they all died in transit by any chance come up? It's similar. <laughs> they, they ordered big boxes of crabs for this for this scene. This I've got the quote written down here. <laughs> the, the honey rider was supposed to be being attacked by crabs, but the animals arrived frozen, dead, and damaged, <laughs> so they changed it to water instead. <laughs> <laughs> dead and damaged. So that's why there's no crabs in that scene. But that's what she's she's on that thing because the crabs are supposed to be crawling out of the water the to get to do that. I, not I, really, not to humans. I think <laughs> any sort of sudden movement, the crab would probably scurry away. I, mean, I don't think. They're not. I wouldn't have thought could really get through skin all that easy <laughs> with a bit of shit. So that's that's that whole fucking thing. Christ, I can't tell who's more stupid. <laughs> Film doctor no, or book doctor no. Let's just agree that they're both very stupid. They're both thick as shit. <laughs> James Freezer and the two make their way outside. They seal a boat throwing the two previous occupants over the side, which again is as good as murder. <laughs> um, and they take off. Not a moment later, the entire island explodes. Now alone on the boat and out of fuel, the two consider their options. Bond suggests we could swim. Or, and he doesn't finish his sentence. He's just implying they should fuck, and implication. It yeah. Well, they're on a boat. No, She's got nowhere boat. to go. There's the implication. <laughs> uh, on top of the implication, I can't think of a worse time to fuck. You're heavily radiated, so yeah, yeah. you could be close to the end of your life. I guess. So. Yeah. Well, I guess that's maybe <laughs> maybe a, that's a reason. A plus point there. Yeah. I mean, they're they're both stinking and sweaty and heavily radioactive, as you say. They've been tortured and drugs, and <laughs> and now they're in just in danger of of dying of dehydration on the sea. Probably time to expend a lot of energy. <laughs> Probably the time to sweat it all out. <laughs> a good solid bond fuck. <laughs> right in the midday sun. <laughs> Unobscured, but it's the worst occasion to do a fuck I can think <laughs> of. Eventually, however, luckily for them, Felix and a squad of Marines appear on a boat of their own. They offer to give Bond and Honey a tow. They seemingly don't care about the exploded island or the incredible amount of radiation that Bond must have been responsible for dumping into the sea. As they're towed, Bond and Honey sink lower into the boat. James sneakily undoes the tow rope and lets it fly loose, thereby strangling them alone in the sea again. But at least they can do another fuck. What a dickhead. 
It's remarkable, really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> For an end of a film. I mean, I understand they would like to do a sex, but is the boat <laughs> go home, have a shower, you know, relax, yeah. have a have a little sit down. Genitals have got to be fairly stinking <laughs> by that point. For the love of God, don't strand yourself in a sea again. Because Felix does look back and he sees it and he goes, Oh, Bond. <laughs> He's now got to turn around and come back. He's got to guess how long Bond goes for. <laughs> and presumably with the character of Bond, he can fuck for hours with no... Uh, yeah, yeah, no, no break, no mercy. <laughs> no consent. No consent, exactly. So like there's you. the literal Bond tagline. <laughs> no break, no mercy, no consent. Yes. <laughs> He's got to guess how long Bond's going to go for and then turn around and pick him up and then do it again. And all that has <laughs> got to be done on the just the faith that Bond is not again going to release the tow rope <laughs> and, and fuck her one more time. He's basically allowing a rape to happen. It's so awful. Anyway, that is Dr. No. And what a, a wild journey it was. <laughs> it certainly was. The official body count for this film, I'm not sure about official, but the, the suggested body count on at least IMDb was 16. I feel there must have been more. I mean, a nuclear blast. <laughs> He's got to dick him. I think ignoring the, the nuclear blast, we must have. Confirm kills. Confirm kills 16, I guess, which is, is really low for a Bond film. Yeah, I, I was expecting a lot more, to be honest, but I guess that's the first half of the film he has just been Detective Bond so. yeah you don't really get that so much anyway so it's action all the time it's it's quite nice just to chill little, back yeah, and yeah kick back and relax only occasionally kill someone yeah, exactly <laughs> if you had to rate the film numerically out of ten what would you uh, what would you give it on the the Bondometer probably five it's pretty boring <laughs> <laughs> I haven't come up with an answer for this I, I quite enjoyed it I think I might stretch like, to a six I like to like all Bond things, it's kind of got the locations and stuff like that, and yeah. I guess especially in the sixties, like that would just look cool as fuck, like jet setting Pan Am sort of lifestyle, yeah, yeah. and out to nice wee beach bars and things like that. But I just get bored when I'm on the island. I just yeah, I couldn't be bothered anymore. <laughs> and I've I've seen the film before, so yeah. Um... I'd say a six. I, I, I was kept entertained. It was just ridiculous enough to keep me, yeah, keep yeah, me going. Yeah, um, yeah I, was, I was chuckling the whole way through. I thought it was. I, I mean, it was it was, quite nice. <laughs> there was definitely some obscene bits. I, I just thought the start of the movie was just so different from the way it ended in the yeah, general. It really was, yeah. Like it ended proper bond. Like there was, as I say, like a point where. <laughs> It just became yeah. the Bond film. <laughs> the tipping point yeah. of Bond. Did you have any particular high or low points of the film? Low points? Probably Quarrel's death, really. It just seemed... <laughs> it was just quite sad. It was very sad. Uh, high it? points, probably killing the professor, just because of how... <laughs> like, the line in it of just... <laughs> I can't drop remember a professor. Drop a professor. <laughs> the fact he sent a professor to kill him. <laughs> so, so, so stupid. <laughs> it's just lovely. Like it's just so, so dim. That... I think, as much as I enjoyed the scene, my low point of the film would have been the car chase up the mountain because it was just so bad. Yeah. So, so terrible. And the high point has to be the scene directly after it. Tarot is. <laughs> 
awful, <laughs> but in a much better way. Though. Yeah, yeah, it's good awful, good awful. Anyway, that's uh, that's our first episode of Premium Bond for your ears only. <laughs> I hope everyone that has stuck around this long to hear us talking fish has enjoyed it thoroughly and would uh, tune in again. Maybe give us a little like and a subscribe. Uh, we're not quite sure where we're going to put this up yet, but presumably on SoundCloud and I don't know iTunes maybe can you I think yes you can (laughs) we'll stick it up on iTunes and we'll stick it up everywhere we can get our fucking filthy fingers on that will host it Spotify let's pay for it people need to hear this (laughs) (laughs) Um, feel free to leave us a a little like or a comment or a subscribe as I say and tell us what you liked and what you didn't like and we'll if we agree with you we'll change it and if we don't then we probably don't want you to listen to the second one so jog on (laughs) Bye. With me as ever is the blowfelt to my 007, James Bond. <laughs> <laughs>